In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory to thee, our God. Glory to thee, heavenly King, O Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present, and fillest all things, O treasure of every good and bestower of life. Come and dwell in us, and cleanse us from every stain, and save our souls, O good one. In the last two talks, we heard so many soul-saving teachings on the topic of the toll houses. And I spoke approximately uh, eight hours for both talks. And I explained in those talks that some people say it's too scary and all these type of things. and. Um, I think I explain myself quite well, according to the fathers that... Uh, and plus, anyway, I've had some very good feedback of those who have heard the talk that were here and those who heard it on the, on the CDs, and they've said that uh, by listening to those talks about the toll houses, it's helped them, one, to identify what are sins and what are not, because they didn't know, and number two, to think about the life after and a lot of people have reported that they are that it's changed their lives. I don't know where this scariness comes from, but let's leave that. Tonight, I want to speak about two points that we heard during the first talk on the toll houses. If you remember, that was talk 46, um, which may have passed our notice because you know when we read things and when we listen to talks, or, a lot of times we miss out on a lot of the things. And people complain and say, I can't remember what I read, or I cannot remember things that I heard during a sermon or during a talk. And I say to them, that doesn't matter. We are not expected to remember everything. And it's a sign, it's a sign of pride to expect from ourselves that particular thing. We go with an open heart, we listen, to the, we listen to talks, we read books, and we hope to obtain something that will be for the benefit of our souls. We don't want to memorise everything only for the sake of showing off and, as St Paul says, that knowledge puffeth up, that knowledge on its own makes us proud. And that's, what the, that's not what the fathers want from us. The fathers want from us to listen to the word of God, read the word of God, and apply it. Even if you grab from reading for an hour, you might grab one thing from it, and you put that into practice, that is valuable. So don't have this expectation of, don't expect to remember everything you read or everything that um, you hear. 
nevertheless, I want to bring to your attention tonight two points of Talk 46, of the 20, when I read about the 20 toll houses, which may have escaped our notice, but let's look at it. The first point was in the section of the fourth toll house, and the second point was in the 20th toll house. So let's read what I read to you on that a few months ago in Talk 46. The fourth torment is that of gluttony and drunkenness. One of the angels that accompanied St. Theodora through the toll house has said the following very important and hopeful teaching. Quote, now this is from the, the life of St. Theodora. Nevertheless, said the angel, gluttons and drunkens easily pass by the toll houses and their sins are readily forgiven by God if they are merciful and kind-hearted to the poor and beggars and help those who beg assistance. By, because of their kind-heartedness towards their neighbour, they pass the toll houses without stopping. It is said in the Holy Bible, in, in um, the Old Testament, arms saved from death, arms giving, saves, saved from death and cleanse every kind of sin. Those who do almsgiving and are righteous will be full of life. Now, there's a few things that you see. We read it, and now let's study it. Not with pride, but to get out of it things that will help us for our life and ultimately for our salvation. Let's have a look. Firstly, the angel says that gluttons and drunkards easily pass the toll houses if they're merciful and kind-hearted to those in need. Then the angel says, because of their kind-heartedness toward their neighbours, they pass the toll houses without stopping. So what does that mean? They pass the fourth toll house only, that is, of gluttony and drunkenness? Or does it mean that when we are merciful and kind-hearted to the poor and beggars and help them, does that mean that it that helps us to pass all the toll houses. Now, the answer to that question, which I had to think about a bit, was that is that um, when we heard the account of the 20 toll houses, there was reference being made continually of good deeds. In toll, and it could have been toll house 6 and toll house 10 and 12, they said, and they offered some of my good deeds... And, be, and because that wasn't enough, they also offered the prayers of, this, of her spiritual father, uh, Saint Basil, which is the prayers of the church. So, it seems that when we are merciful and kind-hearted to the poor and beggars, this helps us, this is... Uh, the good, this is an aspect of the good deeds that the angels were talking about, which I'm going to read about more later on. Then it goes on here and says, um, because of their kind-heartedness toward their neighbours, neighbours meaning fellow men, they pass the toll houses, plural, without stopping. And then the angel, to confirm that, he quotes from the Bible and says, Arms save from death and cleanse every kind of sin. Those who do almsgiving are righteous and are righteous will be full of life. Now, someone might ask, well, 
let's say if we're talking about gluttons and drunkards, how are they righteous? Because it says here, if you do alms, it saves you from death, it cleanses us of our sins. As long as we are righteous, what is, how can that be? How can someone who is a glutton, someone who lies, or someone who falls into some of these other sins that we've heard in the toll houses, how can they, how can someone who does them be righteous? And, and then and in, in this specific case where they mention it at this particular toll house, gluttons and drunkards, some people, when I read it to them, they said, well, how can a drunkard or a glutton be righteous? How can their good deeds be used as long as they're righteous to be forgiven? And the answer to that is that a lot of people have a Western mentality about spiritual life. People seem to think that spiritual life is either when a person is doing all the commandments perfectly, but if you do something wrong, then, you, then, then there's something wrong with you. All of us fall into gluttony at times, and all of us, well, drunkenness can also mean just drinking too much. It could be even St. John of Cronstein even talks about too much coffee, too much teas. Um, something where you're addicted. And also, drunkenness can mean when you get really drunk, but it also can mean when someone just overdrinks a little bit, which can happen. That can even happen in a monastery, even monastics, because wine is there, they can drink a bit, and they might drink too much. So that's um, uh, a sin. But does it mean that they're going to go to hell? No. What is, so how can they be righteous? Because Orthodox Christians are always struggling against those sins, all the sins. As long as, see, uh, what is a righteous person? A righteous person, people believe, is a person who's perfect. But no, a righteous person is a person who struggles to keep the commandments of Christ and when he or she fails, which is continual, then we offer repentance and ask God for mercy, and we do good deeds to make up for all those sins that we do. So continually, we can fall into, into our gluttony, we can uh, talk about someone, we can judge someone, we can have uh, revolting thoughts, we can have jealousy, we can have malice, we can have revengeful thoughts. We, there's so many sins that people do all the time. People get mixed up and say, no, if we do that, that means we're not Christians anymore. No, we are Christians as long as we offer those sins to God continually, confess often, and do good deeds, in this case, be merciful and kind-hearted so that our sins can be forgiven. Now, another question might be, but if we go to confession and we uh, say our sins then why do we have to do good deeds so our sins can be forgiven? Why is it that it says he arms safe from death and cleanse every kind of sin? Because people would say, I thought confession is what cleanses us from sin. And the answer for that is that's, well, the answer to that is that's, that's not correct. 
We can confess our sins, but God still demands from us what? Fruits of repentance, penance. We don't just go, oh, you go to the priest. See, it's, today it's automatic, especially in certain churches. You go, you confess, the priest reads the prayer, that's it. And the person says, I'm cleansed, I'm now I'm good. But that's, that's, that's actually a demonic thought. See, if the demons can't stop us to go to confession, then what he'll do, he'll, he'll distort the whole confession. That's why when we read the lives of saints, we see saints that fell into sins, that they would try and do something to make up for it so they can gain God's forgiveness. Some who denied Christ during the times of the Muslims, for example, they would go to Manathos, they'd become monks, they were forgiven, they were, given, they, were, they were absolved, they didn't commune for a number of years, they were chrismated, a lot of them, and then they said that they felt that they had to go back and die for Christ to make up for that sin. And the Holy Fathers a lot of times would prepare them and allow that. Others that fell into big sins, sexual sins or something else. It wasn't enough just to go and confess. They would try to find ways of gaining God's mercy. Now, the Protestants say that God's sacrifice on the cross is enough. Nothing we can do that we can't, we gain forgiveness through God's sacrifice on the cross, Christ's sacrifice. Those people are mistaken, and those Orthodox Christians who believe the same way, to gain access to the grace which comes, to the forgiveness of the, uh, the, the forgiveness that we receive from Christ's sacrifice, we need to. Um, put ourselves into a state, a spiritual state, to be able to receive that forgiveness. And that's why the Holy Fathers, that's why I explained in Talk 43, the examining the Pharisee within us, where I spoke about penances and I said that the, the, when we confess, you know, the priests, um, depending on the seriousness of the sin, would give fasting, uh, prostrations, strict fasting, 100, 200 prostrations a day, and not to commune for one year, two years, three years, four years, five years, etc. So if God's forgiveness is free, then why does the church fathers command that their penances be given? And for the simple reason is that by doing those things, those people and all of us are able to gain access to that grace which comes from the cross. So, and the angel continues, but he who does not strive to cleanse his sins by good deeds cannot escape the dark tormentors who lead the sinners down to the depths of hell and hold them bound unto the terrible judgment at Christ's second coming. It should be the depths of Hades. This would have happened to you, says the angels to Saint Theodora, if we had not Ramsden you with payment from the gift of your spiritual father, the Holy Basil, because St. Basil was praying for St. Theodora as she was passing through the toll houses. Now, people might say, well, what happens if I don't have a saint? I said, I said in those talks, the, the, um, the prayers of the church are greater even than the prayers of a saint. 
So when we do 40-day liturgies, memorial prayers, and we give money to the poor for the dead, etc., they are the way that we gain God's mercy for those souls. Point two, the 20th toll house. Let's see here what it says. Now, St. Theodora related the following. She said, Here we were met by the evil spirits of the last toll house, that of mercilessness and hard-heartedness. Here, the souls of the unmerciful are tormented without mercy. Even, and this is an excellent next section, which is what I was trying to say in a lot of my earlier talks, because some people were saying, oh, he's against fasting, he's against this, and who knows what else. He, even if one kept strict fasts, even if one prayed frequently, and even if one guarded and kept the purity of his or her body, but has been merciless from this toll house, that person is cast down into the abyss of AIDS, Hades, sorry, and will receive no mercy in all eternity. What did we hear during the paraclysis of St. Senya? There were ten virgins. Five were wise and five were foolish. And St. Seraphim of Sarov says, where I explained that in talk 44, which was uh, the aim, the talk 44. Let me just... Uh, what is the aim of our Christian life? Saint Seraphim says, how if someone kept their virginity, are they foolish? Why were they um, locked out from the kindles as, as, the, as was read today in the gospel? And the door was shut. I mean, I say to you, I do not know you. So why is that? If they had that virtue of virginity. And then the fathers of the church says, because they had no mercy See, someone can be a faster and someone can do prostrations and someone can uh, keep their body pure. But if they don't have mercy, if they're not kind, what does it say here? Those people uh, are cast down into the abyss of Hades and will receive no mercy in all eternity we, however, said St. Theodora, by the grace of God, passed this place without trouble, for we were helped by the prayers of the holy man Basil, whose good work settled so much of my debt. Elder Ephraim of Arizona, in, his, in that red book there, Councils from the Holy Mountain, he writes the following. There was one, there was one soul that passed all the toll houses, except one, the last one, which is the toll house of mercilessness. Alas, alas, said a certain saint who was having a vision of that soul. So a person died. And as we read, as we heard in talk 45 and 46, that some of the, some of the saints were granted vision, that they were able to see the souls going up, like the abbot of Zografo, where Saint Cosmas, if I remember right, saw him, who was an ascetic, and he saw the abbot's soul going up and the demons trying to prevent that soul of going to heaven. And then he ran to the monastery and said to the fathers, quickly, quickly, the abbot is having trouble with the demons of the toll houses. And they said that, what are you talking about? The abbot just finished matins and he went to his uh, cell to prepare for liturgy. 
They said, you're imagining things or saw someone else or whatever. So they ran to his room and there he was that he had passed away. And they all started to pray for his soul. Like we should do when someone dies, it is our duty to pray for the person, for the Orthodox Christian who's passed away, for their to help them during their passage through the air. And we do that, how? 40-day liturgies, memorial prayers, almsgiving, our personal prayer. There's a book at the back, a little Akathis book, which says, um, bring it. I always advise people, when someone dies, to do this Akathis. Akathis to Jesus Christ for a loved one who has fallen asleep. And this is not a general one. This is specifically for someone that you love. Well, if you don't love them, then why would you pray for them? So you might as well just don't buy the book or continue on watching television. And it says here... uh, what was I saying? Oh, I was going to advertise it for the people on the, that will listen to the talk. Uh, it, is pu- it is published by St. Paisios Orthodox Monastery in Arizona. I think they're close to St. Anthony's. And um, you can look that up on the uh, website, I think. Anyway, they've got a lot of akathis for ones who are suffering from cancer, for a loved one who's an alcoholic or on drugs or things like that. We've got a lot of them um, there. But anyway, that is, that's how you do it. That's how you pray for loved ones. Give money to the poor. If they've got sins, which they obviously all of us have, then that, all those things help that soul to gain mercy, for God to forgive that soul and help them through the toll houses. Now, So let's say that again. Even if you keep strict fasts, even if you can even confess, you know, there's people who just lead spiritual lives in their own world. And they don't understand that spiritual life cut off from the world is not spiritual life. And don't quote those fathers that lived in the desert. They already lived in the world and they had their chances to show love and etc. We're talking about people who just come to the church and believe that they're St. Anthony and they think that their house is a cave and they live in their houses and they're cut off and they're a scandal because they're embarrassing for the, for, for the church. Like when I remember when I um, brought over a priest from Greece, an abbot, uh, to visit Australia. I was a layman then, I wasn't a priest. And he came and we were at Melbourne and he met this, this guy there uh, the one that took me into the forest, if you remember that, that story. Um, and uh, he had a beard down to here. He was a lay person, so he had a beard down to here, um, like Rip Van Winkle, if you know who he is. And he, uh, his, oil, his hair was oily because he thinks he was like the saints that never washed. Um, but the saints didn't have oily hair. And he uh, wore drab clothes didn't speak, and didn't smile. And the priest, when he saw him, was a spiritual priest, abbot, he goes to him, you, he goes, that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is joy, like you, look, you're a, you're a scandal, which means you're a scandal. 
Alas, alas, said a certain saint who was having a vision of that soul. The saint said at the end, he passed them all. He passed all the toll houses and only at the last one was he shaken and the demons threw him into Hades with a crash. That's why God has the last toll house as mercy, mercy, um, as the toll house of mercilessness, sorry. If we're not merciful, then the kingdom of heaven is closed. Father John Christiankin, that's the elder from Russia that died 2007, a very famous spiritual father that lived in, in Russia, yeah, um, holy person. He's, in his letters, he says, Christ will judge us when he comes in his terrible second coming, and the judgment will be without mercy upon those who had no mercy. So he says it as well, clearly. When, when we are judged at the end, when Christ comes again, to judge both the living and the dead, and one of the, one of the main criteria that Christ will, will have will be whether we showed mercy to others. And if we didn't show mercy, it says here, that person will gain no mercy. They cannot be saved. And in the Orthodox services of the Ochtoichos, um, which is uh, a service book that monastics mostly use, even I should be using the parish, but anyway. So it says, and this is most of those were written by Saint John of the Saint John Damascene, and it says, uh, th "This is what is sung: the ju the judge is coming. Take care, O my soul, and consider the hour of that dread day, for he, meaning Christ, is without mercy for those who have shown no mercy. Wherefore, before the end, cry out." Have pity on me, O Saviour, who alone art sinless. That's the Octoichus Tonate Sessional Hymn on Monday morning at Matins. So that's what monastics read continual, continually. For Christ is without mercy for those who have no mercy. And that's why monastics tend to be more in touch with the next life, thinking about those things while... In the world, a lot of times, the things that are sung are sung in another language. And, uh, and if we do go to church, we go, what, some people go halfway through the liturgy? So they, only hear, they don't even hear anything at all? So the services, as someone told me the other day, I think it was Alyssa said that she read, is the services of the church is one of the most effective ways of gaining the grace of God. Obviously the ultimate being Holy Communion. What is the meaning of merciful? So we've heard now that we have to be merciful. Now comes the question, well what exactly does it mean to be merciful? Remember Christ says, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. That's in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Now, I'm going to ask you people, what do you think is meant by merciful? Can anyone give me an idea of what they think merciful, what comes in their head? Or what's a, what, how are we merciful? What does it mean to be merciful? What should we do to be merciful? Has anyone known? Almsgiving. One person said almsgiving. Forgive others. And forgive others, that's a good one. Anyone, anything else? To show empathy. Em empathy, meaning that to show that you understand and feel what the person is going through or something? Yeah. Okay, good. 
Any other ones? So one person said alms giving. Another person said to forgive our fellow person when they do sins against us. And another person said to show empathy. And it was someone else's happened? No? Compassion. Compassion to be... Okay, that's a, that's um, something that you feel that's what be merciful is to give someone a second chance when they've done. So it's like forgiving them, which is what Margaret over there I think said. Yep. Okay. Well, let's see. Um, you see, you know how the Protestants they want to quote Bible quotes and things like that, the poor things. But you know that they one thing that they don't understand is the Bible was written in Greek, except for the Gospel of Matthew, which was written in Aramaic. And later on, that was translated into Greek. But every single book in the New Testament, Luke, Mark, John, Acts of the Apostles, all the epistles of St. Paul, all those were all written in Greek, except for St. Matthew, which, as I said, was written in Aramaic, which was the language that Christ and the Jews spoke. But that was lost. So the New Testament came down... To the world, came to the world originally in Greek. So therefore, I think the Greeks would know best what it means rather than the Protestants who are reading some translation in English, like the Good News or whatever else they read, which is so distorted and, you know, like... Uh, oh, anyway, I can't... So um, let's look. Uh, my Greek's not that good. It says for the Greek word, Blessed are the merciful. It said, Makari i eleimonis which means blessed are the eleimonis means what the merciful but eleimosini means almsgiving charity so that's why it's correct what the, the, the uh, what someone said that's right yeah and what someone said was that it seems like is Christ referring to Almsgiving, because that's what the Greek word is. It says eleimonis, eleimonis, which means, um, which comes from the Greek word elemosini as well. Almsgiving. I'm not going to answer that question now. What I'm going to do is I'm going to speak firstly on almsgiving, because I think that one's the obvious one. Then later on, we're going to study to see, is it just almsgiving or is it what the other people were saying? And more, the word merciful. So what I decided to do was I, I picked a few parts from the prologue of Ocarid, written by St. Nikolai, in the, in the considerations, most of them, like September the 18th. There was one example there. Now, who, that person who hasn't got the prologue must obtain the prologue. Most of you have. Um, and to read it every day, to have it as part of your life. People have said to me, I have to read the prologue. It's part of my daily life. I feel bad when I don't read the prologue. It's only three pages. And from there you read the life of the saints of the day, a couple of them. You read, uh, as I said, the consideration and there's some um, to ponder and in the newer version there's some traparia there that's been written, some songs. 
by Saint Nikolai, which are wonderful. And then you've got at the end a homily, which is usually on a verse of the Bible. Some people have said if you just read that, that book, you pretty much ha uh, get everything you need as an Orthodox Christian. I would say that, with a bit of a Bible every day, is, is good. So how long does it take to read the prologue? Five minutes? Seven minutes? Sometimes it takes longer to turn on the computer until it, until it boots up. But yet we stay there for that. We laugh, but the thing is that at the end of, uh, uh, on the last day, we will give word why we disdained God's word, why we wanted to surf the net to become empowered with information and information. And I've just said before, how much information? And some people say, oh, but I go and I surf orthodox sites. And... I would say that a lot of people who say that, they do that, they do uh, look at orthodox sites and then they go into articles which are uh, just judging and other you know, controversies which aren't even worth it. Sometimes you don't even know, is that website proper? Is that article proper? Has it been written differently? And then you've got the other problem as well, that once you've seen that, once you've got the taste, like the shark jaws, once you've got the taste of blood, they couldn't keep them away from the uh, shore. So once you've got the taste of the internet, you read there, you do the pharisaical thing, I'm reading religious things, and then later on then you read about everything else in the world. And think, Does that mean we cut off from the world? Uh, we're not... Um, a, it's not a cult. Orthodox is not a cult to cut people off from the world. But three hours and two hours and four hours, well, how do people have time to take care of their children? How do people have time to pray? And people have told me once they've been on the web, on the, on the internet, uh, they can't pray. So is the internet a sin? Well, it depends what you've gone on to. But let's just say you haven't gone on to anything sinful, but you've just gone on to work, maybe some orthodox websites, some news and things and like that. After a while, you be, your brain becomes so muddled with all the information that you can't pray. It's like music. Some people say, if I listen to a song, does it mean I go to hell? Maybe if you're um, a Baptist, but the, because they're into this fanatical thing, you know, like, oh, you sin, you sin, you go to hell. God does not put us into hell because we heard a song. Even Elder, even elder Porfirios, actually, in one of his sections there, someone asked him, because they were, they were driving along, Elder Porfirios, with a man, and there were some gypsies there, and they were playing music. And um, he, the man was looking at them and listening to the music. And Elder Porfirios said to him, do you, do you want to listen to music? And he goes, oh, sometimes I do. He goes, it's, firstly, he goes, those people, or people, he goes, a lot of times they, they're lost. They don't even know what the purpose of life is. So they need the music to fill them. And as we know from those who go out continually and bars and discos or whatever they're called now and music and music and music and music and they come back and they say that I'm still not happy, I'm still not filled. And the reason being that they're trying to use the music as a way to, to fill their souls but it doesn't fill. Now, 
There are songs which are blasphemous. Obviously, that's sinful. There are songs which are uh, uh, sexual. Obviously, that's sinful. Then there's songs which could be neutral. Might be just, I don't know, um, well, just some, some things which are just about an emotion or something or something like that. Mummy, come home or something, who knows. And country road, take me home. You know, I mean, those type of, there's country music, all these things. So does someone listen to that? Does that mean they're going to go to hell? And obviously, what Elder Professor would say, no. However, what happens is this, that it's like the television, the same thing. Oh, if I watch something on television, does it mean they'll go to hell? No. Depends on what it is, of course, and whether you repent. I mean, you don't go to hell like people think they're going to go to hell so easily. But what it happens is that once you get locked into these things, it becomes a passion. It's like alcohol for some people. Some people can have a bit of a drink. And that's it. Some people, they drink and drink and drink and drink. So alcohol is not a sin, but if, it be if you become addicted and it starts to destroy your life, then it's a sin. So music, one can say, is worldly, maybe it's not. But what happens is that a lot of times when people listen to music, their minds become so cluttered that they can't pray. So what does that show? It shows, or the television, the same thing. People have said to me, I might just watch a documentary, I might watch something like, you know, uh, the big, these things on these discovery channels. I might watch something or, or I might even watch um, a, um, they might say I watch a movie which was based on true life, it was interesting, this, that. Okay, and then... Uh, they cut out all the scenes that aren't, that aren't proper. And, they, and then they say, now I go to pray. Now, when I'm going to pray, my mind's full of images or full of the song, and I can't do it. So that's where the problem uh, arises. You see what I mean? So it's up to the person. If they want to unite with God, then those things become a bit of a problem. So you've got you to work it out. It's like, somebody, like a married couple. And you've got two, two people that are married. Obviously, they're married. And the ideal is for both to love each other. The husband to care about the wife and the wife to take care of the um, husband. But if the, say, for example, if the husband is occupied with something else and becomes obsessed with it and doesn't take any notice of his wife, then the wife would get upset. Well, the same thing happens with our life with God, where we're supposed to love God, but yet we can't show our, we can't even give attention to him. We cannot commune with him because when we pray, we are communing with God because our hearts and our minds are absorbed in other things. Anyway, I don't know what happened there, but let's go back to the, um, the prologue. There was a man in Constantinople who was unusually merciful and compassionate, in other words, compassionate. Walking along the streets of the city, he put his gift into the hands of the poor and immediately went, out, went on his way to avoid hearing their thanks and becoming known. We, of course, love to be said for some people, when we give alms, we want people to say thank you. And if they don't say thank you, we get offended. You see, that's a passion. But anyway, the ideal is, is not to expect thanks. And, and like St. Saint Nicholas, Saint Nicholas of the, the ancient saint, where he would throw money into a house through the window so that he can save 
the girls that were, I don't know what I forgot now the story, but he did it secretly. When one of his friends asked him how he had become so compassionate, so merciful, he replied, one day in church I heard the priest say that what we give to the poor we give into the hands of Christ himself. I didn't believe this because I thought, how can this be when Christ is in heaven? Once, however, on the way home, I saw a poor man begging and I saw the face of Christ shining over his head. Just then someone passed by and gave the beggar a piece of bread. And I saw the Lord stretch out his hand, take the bread and bless the giver. From that moment, I've always seen Christ's face shining over the heads of the beggars. And therefore, with great fear, I give all the alms I can. There are thousands upon thousands of stories throughout the the tradition of the church with similar examples about almsgiving. And people read that and become inspired. The next one, number two, example two, comes from the life of Abbot Haralambos, which we have the book there. He was, a, he was a spiritual child of Elder Joseph. So it says in there, to another brother who wondered about the elder's great generosity, see the elder, Elder Haralambos had he just used to always want to give money to the poor, help the poor, help the poor. He was like a, a drug to him, one can say. The elder said the following. This is the elder speaking now, Elder Haralambos. He said he died in the 90s, I think. I inherited this gift from my parents, the gift of almsgiving. You learn from what you see when you are young. My father was very merciful. And that's so true, even from that, how much we can get, that pa parents should do arms in front of their children so the children can see them. I, when, I was, um, when I was young, I remember that um, uh, my mother... Uh, uh, so I was born in, say, 50, I was born in 58. So in the 60s, Greece was still very poor. But I do remember as a young child, my mother would get clothes. So clothes from ours, I think, the children's and, and adults' clothes. And she would put them into bags and sew them up. And then she would write something on there. Because I was young, I didn't really know exactly what was going on, but I saw it. And from what I, later on as I grew up, I understood that she was sending clothes to her village because over there they, had, they didn't have much back in those days. They were very, very poor. So I saw that. That had, that had an impact on me. Also, my parents used to uh, visit elderly people a lot used to like to visit uh, friends or relatives that were elderly. That had an impact on me. So what we see our parents do is the way that we will... I saw bad things too, by the way. Um, I'm just saying that those, those, those things. Um, I wish I only saw good things, but unfortunately that doesn't happen. My parents weren't really church-goers when, when I was growing up. So, but those things I remember. So we should always let our children see and, and, and involve them. Like I know one father and mother who say to their children, okay, we're going to give some toys to some children that haven't got any. Which toys would you like to give? I'll oh, give them this one, give them this one, give them this one. See, they're, they're, the child is being trained from young to give. I even received a great example from a woman in Vrama. Vrama is a part of Greece. Before I became a monk, 
This woman did not stop giving to the poor. So when the elder was a lay person, he witnessed the woman who lived up there who used to give this who used to give alms to the poor. This woman did not stop giving to the poor. Where she got the money was another great miracle in itself. All the poor said to her daily, May your hand become holy. May your hand become holy. That's how the, the beggars or the, those who she would give would bless her. Of course, some of you that have been to uh, Greece, for example, I haven't been to Russia, but I've been to Greece, and there are a lot of beggars there. And, um, and uh, some, some people say, oh, how do you know they're real and this and that? We're going to learn later on, whoever asks, give, unless you have 100% proof. Anyway, we'll come to that later. So, people... Yeah. Um, I did ask a spiritual father once when I was in Greece uh, that same question. Um, how do you know who's a beggar? Yeah, who's a beggar and who's, who's not? Who's really a beggar and all that. And God said, you'll, you'll see the right ones. You'll, God will show you the right ones and you'll feel who's the right ones are. Well, that's a, good, that's a good point because one day I was um, going along and I, there was a p- person there, so I decided to, 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 um, to give something. And sometimes they, you know, they would often say, oh, God bless, God bless. But this particular person, when I gave, they said, um, God bless. And then when they said it, something kind of like it came on me. I felt in my heart a blessing, like a, the, the, the grace of God. The, the blessings from people that are poor are, are incredibly powerful. But of course, as we'll see as time goes on in the talk, we miss out on these blessings. But anyway, I felt that something came, it was like I kissed a holy relic or a holy icon like the experience that one has when they kiss a holy icon or they kiss a relic of a saint, like part of a, the body of a saint, the grace that comes from these holy objects. And it's the same with what I felt from this person. Um, may your hand become holy, may your hand become holy, the, the beggars would say to her. Finally, the time came for her death. I respected her so much and I wanted to go to her funeral. And he, um, he was prevented of going there because of old calendar, new calendar controversy. But I'm not going to go into that. I was going to go into it. But I thought if I go into that, I might go on a, I might go on, a, like, uh, on, on the side issue, which takes me two hours. So I'm going to treat that subject properly at a, at a future. It has to be treated. But anyway, let's just forget about that. He, he couldn't go to her funeral. After some time, they exhumed her relics in Greece because there's not enough room they, after th- three years, five years, something like that, they dig up the body, get the bones, put them into a little box, put the person's name on them, and put them into like a, in each cemetery they've got like these um, little chapels or houses, not chapels, but houses, little thing, and they put them on the shelves there. They do that in Mount Athos too. So um, that happens, uh, I think, every five years. So, um, sorry, after five years, I think. And they, um, like when my grandmother died, they, I wasn't there at the time, but then they said that, um, I, you know, when we rang up, they said, oh, tomorrow we're going to be going to the cemetery to... And so all the relatives go there. 
they go to the cemetery, open up the, the, the grave and collect all the bones, wash the bones and to put them into, these, into a box with the name of the person. Well, that right hand of hers which she gave arms was yellow, like the holy relics, and it was fragrant. I went myself and saw it with my own eyes. So we know that when a person dies that, that um, has found mercy with God, uh, like we see in the pictures of Father Seraphim Rose and other saints, their skin be, is, is golden. Not white like that, definitely white, but golden colour. And also a sign that a person has found mercy with God is that when you dig up these, the, their bones and the bones are yellowy colour, like a beautiful, like a wax, yellowy colour, golden, and if they give off some fragrance as well, then that's an indication that that person has found mercy. So this person, hand, had that carrot, had that. It was golden and it gave off a fragrance. The next uh, example, example three, is about a nobleman, a rich man, who wanted to donate a gold cross to the church. He found a young but, ex in, sorry, a young but experienced goldsmith and gave him a great amount of gold and told him to make whatever sort of cross he liked. So he gave him a certain, this, this gold and said, you're going to mold that, melt the gold and make a beautiful cross for the church. The poor goldsmith, seeing a large, such a large donation made by the nobleman for the sake of his soul, because this person was doing, was doing this for his soul, the rich man, became inflamed, this, uh, this uh, goldsmith became inflamed with love of God, love for God in his own heart and decided to add, add ten pieces of his own gold to the nobleman's heap of gold. When the cross was ready, the nobleman weighed it and found that it was heavier than the gold that he had given to the young man. He immediately began to abuse him as a thief, suspecting that he had, given some, he had taken some of the gold and replaced it with some other metal, which was heavier. When the young man saw the nobleman so angry, he confessed his deed. He said, I added some gold of my own as the widow gave her two mites in order to receive Christ's reward with you. Hearing this, the nobleman's heart was touched and he said to the young man, from this day you are my son and inheritor of all my goods. Now some of you might say, yeah, sure, if we give money we're going to get these things. Well, I have to say that... Um, uh, I've been around long enough to have seen that that is absolutely true. Absolutely true. That um, when we give alms to the church, to the, to, the, to, to the poor, we receive a lot. Here's an example. Many, many years ago, I remember this example when I just first became a priest, say around 20 years ago, I heard, a, I, I know this, the, the story of a, of a man married, a few children, and he, um, he had a couple of houses, but he decided to donate one of the houses to the church, which at that time, long, long time ago, the house was worth around, I don't know, 150,000, and he gave it to the church. He just felt in his heart, 
I want to give that to the church for my soul. I want to give that for my children, for my family, for God's blessing, for my salvation, for my family's salvation, etc. So he gave that. And at the time, the person was working as a... Um, I don't even know what he was. He was working some type of job, but he wasn't, he wasn't a skilled person, I don't think. And the person at the time was, was receiving around $38,000 a year, something like that, $40,000, uh, which wasn't really much at the time. So... Let's see if the yes, sure is correct. Because, you know, we said yes, sure before. We said, oh, the goldsmith, a way out story. Way out for people whose brains are way out. But let's have a look. And this person, through, and person wasn't even educated, by the way. And the person uh, somehow decided to do a bit of a study, like a bit, some, some, some study. But it was very hard for that person because... Uh, they weren't very intelligent and they weren't really uh, good at studying. You know, they failed school, etc. But the person decided to go. And through miracle, 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 the person passed uh, the, the, the couple of years that, I don't know what he did there, some tech course or some, I don't know what he did. And then at the end, the person ended up going from the 38,000 a year to, if I remember correctly, the exact amount of that the house was worth. So the house was worth about 150, 160. That person jumped from that to that in a, in a, in a miraculous way. And people that heard it said, I don't even know, how did that person jump from that to that just from doing a couple of years or whatever they did? So, and that person acknowledged then, I haven't seen them for years, but acknowledged then but that was a miracle. There's no way they could have even studied like that. So there's blessings continue. That's just one example. There's a case, you know, where people, families help elderly and then they leave them their house. Like um, I knew someone, um, a friend of my, my mother's, um, they had some people, she didn't have anyone to look after her, but some people looked after her and she left everything to them and they weren't even uh, related. Yes, I think that there's a similar example in Melbourne where there was a Greek family that were helping this old woman um, who was very old and things. And uh, what happened was that the woman became orthodox, this old Australian uh, Anglo-Saxon background. She became, um, she became orthodox, died shortly after, and then they discovered that she left the whole house to them. But, you know, that's it. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Um, example four. Uh, this is in the prologue, March the 21st. You will hear the following justification from many who pursue riches. They say the following. When I become rich, I will be able to perform good works. Do not believe them, says St. Nikolai, for they deceive both you and themselves. So people say, that, oh, if I only had more money, then I would help the poor. St. John Climacus knew well the most hidden motives of the human soul and said, love of money begins... So when we fall into the sin of love of money, because that, that's the sin when we, when we become obsessed with money, it begins with the assumption that it leads to almsgiving and ends with hatred for the poor. In other words, a person says, I'm going to acquire money so I can help the poor. But that leads to the following, to fall into the passion of love of money and to hate the poor. This can be seen in all lovers of money. 
both the very rich and the less rich. People usually say, if I only had money, I would do this and that good deed. Do not believe them. They shouldn't believe it either. Let them look as in a mirror at those who have, who have money and do not do this or that good deed. So would they be if they acquired money? The wise John says again, do not say that you must collect money for the poor that you may attain to the kingdom of God through these arms. So, because Christians in the old days knew well that the way to attain, now they don't know, because, uh, but the, uh, some people know, but in general, people don't even know. Some, some of you will say to me at the end, or most of you will say, I never even knew all this, what you're saying, that, that giving money to the poor is that important. I thought just giving 20 cents to the Red Cross will, will gain me the kingdom of heaven. The wise John says again, do not say that you must collect money for the poor that you may attain to the kingdom of God through these arms. For the kingdom can be bought for two mites. Is the icon there? Yeah, so that's the icon of the, the widow that gave two little pieces, two little coins, two mites. Um, and it shows Christ blessing her. But, and people misinterpret that and say, well, that's all I've got to give, just a couple of coins. But she gave from her need. In other words, when she gave that money, that was money that she needed to feed herself or maybe even a family, but she sacrificed. So if someone is a millionaire, say, and then gives $1,000, that's just like nothing. That's just like a night at the casino. It's nothing, that, that's not going to hurt them. So that's what that means. But anyway, um, what St. John's saying, even if you're poor, you don't have to be rich to gain the kingdom of heaven. Yes, we must give alms to, to be saved, but we give from our need, from whatever we can, we give, and that's enough. And that's what that example means there. We don't have to be rich. For the kingdom of God can be bought for two mites. Truly the widow in the gospel purchased the kingdom for two mites, but the rich man before whose door Lazarus lay was not able to buy it with all his wealth. And that's going to be what we're going to do next time, is the parable of the rich man Lazarus. That he had all the money and he didn't get, gain the kingdom of heaven. While the widow, with her two little coins that she gave there, gained the kingdom of heaven. So you don't have to be rich to be saved, is what St. Nicholas is trying to say. Prologue 27th of July, if you give alms to the poor, know that inasmuch as you do good works for your neighbour, so much and more do you do it for yourself. So St. Anthony says, life and death comes to us through our neighbour. And I've mentioned this before. Our spiritual life is not something individual, like within ourselves. I'm going to do confession, I'm going to pray, I'm going to read a book, I'm going to become holy. But salvation comes, we do those things, but salvation will be determined on how we behave with those around us. So St. Anthony says, life meaning life eternal, and death, meaning hell, comes to us through our neighbour. And St Peter Damascene writes, as the poor should give thanks to God and love the rich, like, that, like the poor was saying to that woman, may God bless your hand, or, the, or the, that. And, and my example that I just said about that, that, the person that I gave to the, uh, in Athens there, Yes, the poor should love the rich who do good to them. Even more should the rich thank God and love the poor. 
Now, this is where it's like strange and say, oh, well, why should I love the poor? I give my money. Usually I'm, I feel superior. For they are saved, the rich are saved by the providence of God, both now and in this world to come, because of their arms. In other words, the rich are saved through God's providence that God allows poor people to exist so that the rich or those who have money are able to give it to them. And he goes on and says, For without the poor, not only do the rich not receive the salvation of their souls, but are unable to flee the temptations of their riches. Once we get money, now some of you will say, oh, but I'm not rich. All of us have surplus money. And we're going to see what surplus money means. But anyway, I'll explain that later on a bit. But anyway, here it says that money, as it says in the Bible, is the root of all evil. It's a very, very dangerous thing. And once people get a taste of it, they don't want to give it up very easily. And that's why the church teaches if you do have money and you want to be saved and to be, not to be sucked in, as we say, from the riches, like, like, a, like a rip when you go to the beach and you're in the water and all of a sudden the, the currents starts to suck you into the... Into the um, ocean. You're just sitting there paddling along on your boogie board, whatever you've got there, and you're swimming along and all of a sudden you feel this pull. And then you begin to swim to try and get out of the current, if you don't know, and then it just takes you out further. That's the same as money. Money's like a rip. And what it does is it rips you apart. And the only way we can, does that mean we shouldn't be rich? No, there are many saints that were rich. It just means that we have to be careful that the money does not take, pos take possession of us. It doesn't draw us in. And the way we do that is, from the, is we give money to the poor. In earlier times, says St. Nicolai, the rich took gold to the hermits in the desert and begged them to accept it. So when the Christians used to go to the desert, to receive a blessing from the fathers there, or advice, prayers. They used to also take money to give it to them. It, is, it rarely happened that the hermits received alms gladly. They didn't, they didn't want them. And when they received it, they did so out of compassion for the rich. The poorest of men, those hermits that lived in the desert, the poorest of men received alms out of compassion. In other words... You, St. Nicholas, saying, would you expect that the poor felt sorry for the rich and took maybe at times a coin or something because they felt sorry for them because they, uh, these people wanted to give money so they can buy the kingdom of heaven through alms giving and have their sins forgiven, etc., etc., Prologue, March 21st, when St. Basil the New, which was um, which when I found it, I go, oh, that's St. Basil the New, the spiritual father of St. Theodora. When St. Basil the New prophesied to the Empress 
that she would bear first a daughter and then a son, the empress, after it came true, offered him much gold. The saint refused it. Saint Basil said, don't want it. But the empress pleaded with him in the name of the Holy Trinity that he take the gold. Then Saint Basil took only three gold pieces and gave them to his servant Theodora, which is the one that went up to Tyas's letter, and he said to her, we don't, meet, we don't need many of these thorns. They prick horribly. Do you understand what that means? Like when you, when I was young and, you know, when you're young you don't know, you touch things and my mother had a, a rose tree. So I liked the rose. So I went to grab it, but I didn't like the rose after that because I was bleeding because I didn't understand that. Yeah, so that's that, that because of the, the thorns. And St. Basil saying that, we don't want too much of these, this money because they are, what, we don't want many of these thorns. They prick horribly. They can cause us to lose our souls. The next one, the prologue of December the 31st, St. Melanie. When St. Melanie visited the Holy Desert Fathers in Egypt with the intention of giving them some financial help, she was astounded at their utter scorning of goods and wealth. The states of the, you know, you might say, well, how come the monasteries take money? How come they don't refuse money? But these were because, because these desert fathers had no need of money. They were living in the desert. They were self-sufficient. They didn't need money. Monasteries need money because they deal with people, they have um, monks, a lot of monks, they have um, buildings, expenses. These, these monks that lived in the desert lived in caves or made some shacks. So see, we see the devil makes this thing, they go, oh, see, why the monks? And they, they, that's why, they, don't, they, they, don't, they didn't need it. Anyway, so it says there that they didn't want any money. They scorned goods and wealth. And I've been to, I've been to some places in Mount Athos, Little little cells, like little houses, where you know Manas got big monasteries, and they've got skeets, but they've also got here and there in the forest, little like Elder Paisius used to live in. He lived in a an old house, an old rundown house, and uh, they didn't have electricity bills because they had no electricity, had no gas bills because they had no. They just lived day to day with the minimal. Maybe they would take. A little bit of food if someone gave it to them or they had their own gardens if they were able to and they that's it but other monasteries or other skits they did have need of money but those monks a lot of them didn't have any need they're very very poor their clothes were completely ripped now some might say how come you don't wear ripped clothes right because i don't live in a cell in a forest with no electricity and by myself etc so people get wrong ideas and get confused and then i don't know it just becomes a whole mess sometimes i say to people you know what just don't think <laughs> don't think calm down just don't 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 go into too many things you just you can't work it out you're not mature spiritually to work it out just leave it alone because uh, everyone wants to be smart, Alec, and I, you know, work out things and think that they go, oh, you know, they catch people out. But at the end, they only catch themselves out. So, even St. Nicholas of 
Japan, when he went to Japan and became a missionary, the Japanese people were very much into clothing. They, were, they wore beautiful silk type of clothes. And when St. Nicholas of Japan went there, he was a Russian, he uh, saw that if he wore oldish clothes and ragged clothes or plain clothes, they're not going to take any notice of him. So he wore beautiful clothes on purpose so that he can be able to gain access to the Japanese, which he did, and converted a lot of them to orthodoxy. People's frame of mind, that's how we um, think. So let's go on. Uh, Thus she visited one hermit and saw nothing in his cell but mats, a bowl for water, and a dry and so a little dry bread and a salt pot, because they had to have salt because they used to sweat. Knowing beforehand that the elder would not take money from her, she took the opportunity to hide several gold pieces in the salt pot. So when he wasn't looking, she dug the, put the coins in the salt pot. Uh, but as she was on her way back, she heard the elder running after her and calling her to stop. She stopped. The elder held the gold out to her in his hand, handing them to Melanie and said, I don't need this. Take what's yours. Melanie said to him, if you don't need it, give it to someone else. He replied, no one around here would have any use of it. When Melanie would not take the gold back, the elder swung his arm and threw the gold into the river and then returned to his cell. Why did he throw it into the river? Because he didn't want to take it, because he didn't want to fall into the temptation. So he goes, you're not taking it? And he threw it into the river. That's the same as the, um, the saints that had gifts, as I did in those talks in the 30s there. Where was it? Um, not in the 1930s, but in the number... Th- in the um, see, uh, see, Seeking Signs and Miracles, Signs and Miracles versus... God. I spoke a lot about the, um, there that the saints that had uh, gifts, miraculous gifts, would pray to God to take them away because they were scared of the temptation. Now... Some of you might say, does that mean I'm going to go to the bank, get my money out, and go and pour it into the river? And I say, the answer is no. What it means is we learn from this and understand that money is, can be a temptation and to be careful of it. Because most of us don't think about it and, and think, oh, uh, when I've got money, I can do things, I can give money to the poor, which a lot of times we don't, etc., etc. So all this is what I'm trying to say to you is to be careful be careful what we wish for, because we might wish for more money and at the end we lose our soul. Maybe we should just be satisfied with what we've got. Also, we don't need great amount of money to do arms, because the widow in the, on the icon in the front there only gave a little bit from her need. And uh, also that we need the poor more than the poor need us. And that to me is quite um, uh, interesting. St. Tikhon of Zadonks writes, a Russian hierarch, the poor that receive alms must be grateful both to God who showed his mercy through a man and to the man that gives it and helps them in their need. So St. Tikhon saying, the poor person who receives money firstly thanks God that he sent this person to give him money or her money. 
and then to thank the person for giving that money. And they should love him as their benefactor. Love the man or the woman who gives this money. This is what, this is what St. Tikon says that the poor should do. And they should honour him and remember him in their prayers. That's a commandment that when the poor receive money, they thank God and thank the person and pray for the person. It is then the obligation of the rich to give and of the poor to receive gratefully. So we are, the, the rich are obligated to give to the poor. The poor have to be grateful for receiving from the rich and to pour forth heartfelt prayer to the giver. Nevertheless, even though those who receive alms may not pray for the giver, so he goes on to say, well, what happens if the person that you're giving the money doesn't even say thanks, it doesn't matter. What happens if the person doesn't even pray for you, just takes the money? Even if they're in need, some people don't even want to say thanks, some people don't even want to set up a prayer. What happens then? St. Tikon answers and says, uh, not to worry about that, he says, the alms themselves given from a good heart pray more than any man and continually intercede before God and voicelessly beseech mercy of him for the giver. In other words, a, yes, the man can pray for the person who gives, but he says even if that doesn't happen, above that person's prayer is just the arms themselves. Just you giving arms to the poor, even if the person's ungrateful, even if the person doesn't pray for you, those arms will pray for you. They will draw God's mercy down on your soul. From the life of Father Epiphanius Theodoropoulos, a Greek elder, he died, I think, in the 80s. I did meet this person just once, just uh, being brief. Uh, but he was, uh, we have um, his book here. Two books. We have the, I forgot to say, Journey to Heaven, Councils on the Particular Duties of Every Christian by St. Tikhon of Zidonsk. This book I like because it goes through all the obligations, how the poor should be to the rich, how a woman should be to her husband, how a family, the children, etc., etc. It gives all those things. When you lend money to someone, how you should act. Um, on the struggle against sin, on pride, on the duty of leaders, on the duty of those who are supposed to follow, on the duty of pastors, on the duty of the flock towards the pastor, on the duty of husbands and wives in marriage, on the duty of parents, on the duty of children, on the duty of masters and servants, because they used to have slaves in those days, on the duty of the rich, on the duty of the poor, on the duty of those that give loans, on the duty of those that take loans, on the duty of those that sell and buy, etc., etc., Excellent book. That, that's what you read, this. Don't read books like of some ascetic that lived in the desert, that had no children. We need to read things that are to do with us. That's what St. John Chrysostom says. And a lot of the fathers read. Married people, people living in the world, should read books that, are for, that give advice of how to live in the world. Once you've mastered a lot of that, then you can read some ascetical books where sometimes they give advice, like Elder Haralambos gave advice for married people and things like that in it. But he also, he also speaks about his life in the desert, which sometimes is beyond us. He used to say, um, if I, they had a practice where they didn't speak at all, 
they would just pray continually. And then if they had to go somewhere, even to a monastery, where there's a lot of people, he said that when he would, or later on when he had to become an abbot, he says he couldn't even pray as well because he said his mind was scattered. So imagine us that live in the world that are aeroplanes and people and everything like that. So that's what the, the, these um, ascetic fathers didn't deal with those problems. So sometimes when you read their books, that's why people say, oh, I read their books and I get the idea that you have to go to the desert to be saved. That's, people get confused like that. Anyway, then we got the, this book, by, this was called Councils for Life from the teachings of Father Epiphanius. And that's a Greek elder. And I'll read you three little parts. Some of you might have to put your seatbelt on. Father Epiphanius Theodoropoulos used to say the following. Give a tenth of your income to the poor. The elder often repeated to a certain wealthy person. The man would sometimes justify himself and other times he gave some crumbs to the, some people who wanted a little bit of money to the poor. Once he disappeared for quite a while. One afternoon the elder saw him again. Where have you been? I haven't seen you for a long time. The man replied, don't ask. I'm ashamed to tell you. Speak freely, said the elder. The man said, every so often when I would come here, you would speak to me about tithing. Tithing means that to give 10% of the income. And I would say to myself, aren't there any other spiritual fathers? In other words, aren't there other spiritual fathers who don't demand this? There, there has to be. So I decided to look and I found a spiritual father who didn't demand tithing. So I went to him. During, the time, during this time that you didn't see me, my wife got sick. The doctors terrorised us because meaning that the doctors were saying she might have this, she might have that, like serious things. So they were really scared. We went, we went overseas to doctors wasted a lot of money, many times more than what I would have had to give if I did, my, did the tithing. Yeah. So, did you understand that? Because we said that this person didn't want to do the tithing that Father Epiphanius was telling him of 10% of his income, so he's not going to go and find another spiritual father, which he did, and he found one, but then later on he... His wife got sick and, you know, it was very bad news and they had to go travel, who knows where, Europe, other parts of Europe. This is in Greece. Maybe they went to America, England, and wasted a lot of money on doctors. Now I realise this. God taught me by experience. After this, the elders said, be careful from now on. Keep this commandment of God. Because that's actually uh, uh, one of the commandments. That's why the Pharisee, as we heard today, I tithe. He, he used to give his certain 10%. He used to fast, he said. What else did we hear in the gospel? He used to give alms and things like that. But of course he had pride, so it was all wasted. The next example from Father Epiphanius' life, once conversing with a spiritual child of his, the elder urged him not to neglect to give tithe to the poor. The, the 10% in other words. The man answered that he was building a new house and had many expenses. And he had calculated even the smallest expenditure, so just to make sure he doesn't have any money left for the poor, he went to every detail of all the money that he needs. And although the older stressed to him that God would provide for him from elsewhere, he was not persuaded. Didn't have faith, in other words. We all lack that faith, don't we? 
After quite a while, he visited the elder and informed him with pain that all the wood of his parquetry floor had become wormy. I think that must mean termites, I think, in a very short period of time. And the elder replied with a little smile and said to him, that's how one suffers when he does not give charity. When you give one-tenth, God saves you from a hundredfold expenses. And that is true. How many people do not give money and yet they spend their money from doctors, on psychiatrists, on courts, on um, chasing their children and um, for all the things that they, they get into. And um, it's like it's cursed. People that give are blessed. People that don't give are cursed. The third one, a certain man gave alms every month. Once, however, he did not give and he told the elder, Father, I did not give charity this month because the plumbing in my house broke and I spent it there. The elder answered, with this deed of yours, it's as if you stole from the poor. We should not spend the tithe from our personal, for our personal needs. The money, in other words, that's dedicated to the poor, goes to the poor. This tithe belongs to God and it is meant for the poor. Now, what's this thing that he says he you stole from the poor? Well, Blessed Theophilact, in his explanation, says... We need to consider the following important thing. The robber is he who has much and does not give alms, even if he does no obvious injury. So he says, don't think of a robber as someone that goes and steals from someone, someone who breaks into someone's house, someone who holds someone up or hits them and robs their money. He, that, that's not what a robber is. I'm sorry, they're a robber, but, but he says a robber is also someone who does not give money to the poor. Let's have a look. For whatever he has is in excess of his needs. So a person is a certain amount to live on, and yet God has given him some extra. That extra, he says, should go to the poor. He has stolen from those who are in need and who have not received anything from him. For if he had shared these things with them, they would not be in need. So poor people exist because people who have money, who have excess, do not give to them. Now, that he has locked these things up and kept them for himself, for this very reason, they are in need. So when we, all of us, hold money that we have in excess, we are, holding, we are keeping that from the poor. So St. Theophilact the Saint and St. Epiphanius and all the saints say it's as if we are stealing from the poor because that money is meant for them. Now that he has looked, locked, sorry, so he who does not give alms is a robber, doing injustice to all those whom he could have helped but did not. And for this reason he and those like him shall go away into eternal punishment which never ends, but the righteous shall enter into eternal life. See, new revelations today. I must admit, I learnt a lot too when I, when I studied this to present it. So a lot of this is new to myself as well. St. Tikon of Zidonsk writes, Riches are given to you, O Christian, 
not for your sake alone, but also for the sake of the poor. I thought I, thought I spoke to morning. <laughs> but is it no, it's still evening? <laughs> um, I thought I had like a, a time loss. Because I do speak a lot, sometimes I forget. Now, let's go back to, yep, no, safely, it's 10 to 7 in the evening. So let's go on. Riches are given to you, O Christian, not for your sake alone, but also for the sake of the poor. But uh, then take pleasure in it with moderation. So St. Tikkun saying, obviously, if you've got money, it's not as if you're not going to have some pleasure in the money. But he said, but have it in moderation and give thanks to God and provide for the needs of the poor. So yes, we've got money. Yes, we can have some enjoyment with it as long as it's not sinful. But at the same time, give thanks to God and say, thank you, God, for giving me this money for me to use, this money for me to enjoy. And also, you give to the poor. This is the correct use of riches. Remember that you are a steward, not the master of your riches, for you will be strictly examined for everything. What's a steward? A steward is a person appointed by God to be responsible for managing God's riches. So God gives us the riches, says, here's the money, now manage it. It's not, it's not yours, I gave it to you. So we keep a certain part for ourselves. And then God expects from us to distribute also to the poor. St. John of Cronstadt writes, it is, not, it, it is not right for the rich to keep excess wealth while there are many poor people who are in need of necessary clothing and dwellings in order to survive. The terrible poverty arising from old age, so you know some people are poor because they're old, from old age, from exhaustion, like they just um, can't work, sickness, low income, really difficult conditions of life, very large families sometimes that happens, bad business, like the business is not going well, bad harvests for those that are farmers. We must always be quick to help such people, especially those of us who are rich. And the last section, and we're ending, is St John of Cronstadt writes, watch yourself when a poor man who is in need of your help asks of you. See, I love saying the counts. Oh, that's another book. Spiritual counsels, Father, Father John of Cronstadt, was now St. John of Cronstadt. This is by St. Vladimir's Seminary Press. I've got to mention that the St. Tikon book is, is um, published by Holy Trinity Monastery in Jordanville, and the Father Epiphanios is Orthodox Kipseli, which is in, in Greece, but some places in America and Greece, uh, Australia might... Um, um, Anyway, St. John of Cronstan, the good, the, uh, I love St. John of Cronstan because he speaks about his own personal experience. So this is what he's saying about himself because he wrote a diary. Watch yourself when a poor man who is in need of your help asks of it of you. The enemy will endeavour at that time to chill your heart and fill it with indifference and even scorn towards him that is in want. So St. John of Cronstan is saying that 
When a person asks us for help, our hearts can become cold, indifferent, unfeeling, irritated, disdain, like why, why is this person bothering me? Now, you might say, well, St John of Cronstadt is writing about us, not about himself, because he's a saint. And this is where people get confused, that all these saints, all these troparia that we sing about passions and help me and I'm, and I'm going to go to hell because of my sins, etc., and have mercy, all written by saints who were expressing their experience, their souls. Not that they were written for us as if they're separate to us. Anyway, that's another madness. So we say, <clears throat> so St. John himself said that he felt that when that happened, that's what, that's what the devil does. He makes us to be cold, indifferent towards the poor. Overcome this, incite your heart to love of this man like unto you in all respects to this member of Christ, your own member, in order that Christ the Lord may love and help you too. And whatever the need he may ask of you, fulfill his request according to your power. And then he quotes from the Bible, Matthew 5.42, Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. The demons will fight us in many ways when we do arms. One, to make us proud. Two, if they can't do that, then to freeze, to make our hearts cold towards the poor. St. John of Cronstein writes, Therefore, if we know that some are poor only through their laziness, with such we are not obliged to share the abundance earned by our labour. And then he quotes St. Paul, if, anyone will not, if any will not work, neither should he eat. So, St. Paul is saying, if there are people among you who refuse to work, not because they're sick or got problems, they're just lazy, and they ask you for money, he said, don't give it to them. Because we are encouraging the person to stay lazy. Parents have this tendency that they've got children at home and the children don't want to work or things like that, and the parents keep on feeding them and giving them money, 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 money. There's someone say, oh, what do you do? You, do you throw them out? Well, you don't throw your children out, but at the same time, you don't just give them money and buy cars for them and let them buy clothes and give them your credit card and things like that, or pay their credit card and their mobile phone and their computer usage and everything else that they, that they, that they do. We are encouraging them to be bludgers. Yes. That's a problem because some of them are drug addicts because of mental disorder. See, so it's hard to know. Are they like that because they want to be like that or are they like that because they were molested or they were traumatised or they, you know, their parents um, threw them out of their house when they were 11 years old and they had to become prostitutes to exist and things like that? We don't know. So when we don't know the facts... The saints always say just give, right? But you always got to be careful with them because once you take out your wallet, they can knock you down. There's all these difficult uh, situations. It's how God enlightens you, how big you are, if you, 
If you're big and you're not scared, that's okay. But if you're a woman and you've got a bag and you open up your bag and suddenly you've got no bag, right? So there's all these difficult um, uh, situations, but we shouldn't judge because we don't know why those people are like that. Some of those people were, you know, some people have been kidnapped and they were put onto heroin to make them sell them, you know, to, so they can work for their pimps. And then, they, it's all, it's, it's, it's a very big, it's difficult, but it's different when you know someone comes from a good family, they've got a family there, this and that, but they just don't want to work. So that's a, a different situation. Um, when you're not sure, it's safer to give, but at the same time have a brain to know that if you're in a street by yourself or in the, like, you know, and someone comes up to you and asks, you've got to be very careful. Father, I yeah. have noticed in, um, in Sydney there's a lot of um, homeless and beggars there. But with such, you know, we're such an advanced country and all that. When you say we, Sydney, in the city? Like in the city, yeah. I, I went there a few weeks ago and I noticed just every corner, Martin Place, everywhere. I couldn't believe it. But, you know, there's a lot of charities out there, Mission Beat and all that. I, I, the, this is where you get to the point to say these charities do often go around and pick them up and help them out but it's like they they want to be there or this is it's very hard there to was hear. there was another reading from the prologue which i omitted because it was too much but it said there that someone gave money to uh, gave their coat if i remember right then later on they saw their coat at the shop being sold it was sold and the person got upset and goes oh, i gave it to the poor person they sold it and then Christ appeared and said, no, Christ appeared, I think, if I remember right, with the coat on. He says, do you recognise this coat? Yes, that's the coat that I gave the beggar. And he says, you don't worry. When you give, you give it to me. So whether the person's worthy or not worthy, you know, it's sometimes safer to give because then we can start to judge and say, that person deserves it, that person that's on the street well, you know, why are they there? How do we know what they're there? You know, we don't know. You might say there's all these mission beats and the Salvation Army, this and that, they give them food. They give them food, um, but, you know, do they all have enough shelter? You know, sometimes there's not even enough room in the, in the shelters for these people. So there's all these circumstances. So anyway, I'll, at, at the end, I'm only presenting some things. We don't, we're not getting all the answers. We've got to read pray, study more. Um, there was so much more that, there, that I found, but that's the first half of the talk. Valentina. Oh, I have a scripture teacher like, several years ago in high school that we were talking about the same thing about drug addicts, and she said one thing that she used to do was to actually buy food and thereby like, essentially eating them just in case some of them would use the money for drugs. But I've heard others that have that, that said whether they use it on drugs, that's their business. I mean, when they ask, they ask. It's 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 hard to what do you, you know. So if someone, you know, you're running for an appointment, someone asks for something. So you're going to go to the Seven Eleven, buy a hot dog, then come back out, give it to them, and then go back. You know, there's all these there's all these things. If you can, you can. That's why, as the next part of the talk is going to come, we're going to look at ways of uh, doing this where we use the money to um, in many different ways. The, there is a problem, I haven't worked it out myself, that when, you know, because they see the way I'm dressed as well, so when I'm in the street, if I walk in the street, they come and ask. Then if I say no, and then it looks so bad because not even from the person I'm saying no to, but even people around, 
Um, so, um, I don't even carry money because I'm usually with someone else. So, what I've decided is just to have some coins, two dollars or whatever, some coins with me just in case, just so that's not to refuse the person. You know, that's another thing. But you've got to also have discernment. Where are you? What's the situation? Are you safe? You know, you can't just be a, like a dodo and just do that. And was there another question, someone? No? Yes? If I had two questions. If, if I understand correctly, the, the main beneficiaries from our arms giving should be the poor and needy. So in church on Sunday when the two pastors go around, one's for the ecclesia and one's for like, they're probably the Greek Orthodox schools. Does that count as uh, arms giving? Or should we prioritise the money we give to specifically a poor box? The second part of the question is, I don't know whether I'm being too no. pharisaical, but to non-Orthodox charities like the World, uh, World Vision or Salvation Army, should we give money to them? Especially if we know like, they're mixed up in the, the World Council of Churches and that kind of thing? I'm not going to say not to give. What I'm going to say is that, what we're going to hear in the next part of the talk, is that there are so many places that our money can go. So when people ring up, for example, to our monastery and say, I'm ringing up from this place and this place. And I say to them, look, um, I, I have specific charities I give to you. Okay, thank you, hang up. Um, and plus with them, they're worse than JAWS. Once you give them money on the phone, then somehow there's another 50 organisations which will ring you. And then, it's, um, and then you've got a whole, a whole school of these things coming after you. So that's another uh, problem. With the first question about giving to the church, I think given to the church is, I've never, I, to be truthful, you got me there because I was thinking about it before as I was going to give this talk, but I hadn't really got an answer whether the arms that we give, let's say if we do do the 10%, does that account what we give to the church? I suppose the church would help poor people as well. So um, I don't know properly that answer whether that is counted as part of that. Well, that's good, yeah. And then, and then obviously you're going to help the church as well, yeah, right? Like so you've got, you got, you help the church. Then of course you help that. But whether that's part of the ten percent, I don't. Know, maybe it is. You know what I mean? You just dedicate money to the church, dedicate money to um, the poor as well, and things like that. Um, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. But it will come, you know, because you read it somewhere, you just come. Okay. So we'll have the break, the sandwiches there, etc. Okay. Yes, Valentina, you um, made a comment. So let's just, uh, that, that was a good example you said. That someone yeah, had a need. Okay, um, so there was um, one man and he went to this um, old lady's uh, place and he was just talking to her and actually paying attention to what she was saying. And at the end of the, um, she had a piece of furniture or her car or something really valuable. And he was really shocked because he was saying, I'm not even blood related to you, you know, aren't you going to give it to your family? And she's like, oh, no, they wouldn't appreciate it. And this was um, in a secular group, which was about 
why people should be nice to others. So that's quite interesting how you can... But did her family have need of it? Apparently, like, probably not or something. Okay, that's not a... That's... Well, she, her, the main part is she didn't want to give because she didn't feel that would be appreciative, appreciative, yeah. But let's, now let's transfer that to the poor and we should never say, I'm not going to give to that poor person because that person will not be grateful. That is against God's commandments. And because we, we already said that when we give, we give, when we give to the person, we give to Christ. And that the arms itself will give us blessings, even if the person does not appreciate it or doesn't even pray for the person that's given it. Okay, so let's now come back to what I said earlier on. We spoke about almsgiving, which is to do with giving money to the poor. Now let's go back to Christ's teaching, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And I said that the Greek word Eleimonos, which means like, um, it's, it comes from the word Eleimonos, which it sounds like it's to do with almsgiving. And uh, some of you thought that means that. Some of you thought it means to be compassionate. Others said to be forgiving, along those lines. Um, uh, like, for example, a person who's about to be executed can ask the court for mercy. Have mercy on me. Like, don't... Don't kill me, for example. Or a, a person who's unable to pay the rent says, you know, please give me a chance. You know, that, that's like, that can be looked at as being merciful. Anyway, that's just two secular examples. But let's look at how St. John Chrysostom explains the word merciful. And St. John Chrysostom is explaining here, he, he's interpreting Christ's teaching, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Because even in his times, people believed that merciful meant almsgiving, just almsgiving. And St. John Chrysostom says, Here Christ seems to me to speak not only of those who show mercy by means of money, but also those who show mercy through their actions. Many are the ways to show mercy... And this commandment is broad. So, St. John Chrysostom is saying that where Christ says to be merciful does not just mean to give money to the poor. He says that this commandment to be merciful is broad. It has a lot of aspects to it. If the merciful, now I'm, I'm, I'm continuing with my own words, if the merciful and kind-hearted pass the toll houses without stopping, then it is very important for us to examine the different ways of showing mercy, because as Christ said, blessed are the merciful, according to St. John Chrysostom, does not only apply to almsgiving, we've, we've established that. One can show mercy in many different ways. So this is the rest of the talk now. We must, um, tonight, uh, we're going to do what are the other ways of showing mercy? We must always keep in mind Christ's stern warning that only the merciful will obtain mercy on the last day. So today, someone said to me when I went to the kitchen, oh, well, no, no, I think it was Valentina when she came up, she said, oh, I never knew 
that mercilessness was even part of the toll houses. And it's the last one. I never thought of it. And that's true. A lot of us have not thought of it. And yet, we have heard tonight so many teachings saying, if we are not merciful, we shall not obtain mercy. So therefore, wouldn't common sense say we need to know what exactly, how do we show mercy? If it's not just giving money to the poor, which is powerful in itself, what are the ways of showing mercy? We need to know so that when we die, we will not be told like the five virgins that were and say, where Christ shut the door and says, I don't know you. We need to know what it is. So, I decided to read a reading from the Gospel of Matthew, which I think will explain quite a lot. This Gospel will be read not next week, but the week after. Next week is the, is the prodigal son, and the week after is the last judgment. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or strange or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. That's the gospel of the last judgment. So... What do we hear? We hear some different categories, one one can say. We hear not only do we have to feed the, feed the poor, give them drink, give them clothing. It says, stranger, took them in, naked, you clothed me in, sick and in prison and visited me. There's some other aspects that um, is not just what we think alms given as just giving money to the poor. Let's look at some... And some of the uh, explanation of this. Look, I didn't go through it all, it was too long. I picked some of it from St. Nikolai and from some of it from the Blessed Theophilact of Ocarin. So, calling the righteous into the kingdom, the judge immediately explained why he was giving it to them. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was strange, you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me and I was in prison and you came to me. St. Nikolai, and you came to me. St. Nikolai writes... It is important to note 
that God needs nothing from us for himself because all we have is his. Like the priest at the liturgy says when he lifts up the chalice and the, and the, um, the, 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 the discos and says, thine own of thine own, what is, so it's thine own, you, what is yours, we offer unto you. Thine own of thine own do we offer unto you on behalf of all and for all. So, it says, St. Nicholas says that uh, he who created bread cannot be hungry, nor he who created water be thirsty. He who clothes his whole creation cannot be naked, nor he who is the source of health be sick, nor he who is the Lord of Lords be a captive, like in others in prison. So, Short, so where it says, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. What does it mean, you did it to me? What is meant, St. Nicholas says, what is meant by you did it to me? Within the Christian, there is Christ. Whatever is done to someone, Christ accepts this as though it is done to him. He who gives food to the hungry, drink to the thirsty, clothing to the naked and shelter to the stranger, does this to the Lord. He who visits the sick or those in prison also does this to the Lord. We read in the Old Testament, quote, he who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord and he, meaning God, will pay back what the person has given. Proverbs 19, line 17. So he who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord. In other words, when you give money to the poor, for example, or you give food to the poor, you give drink to the poor, whatever we do to the poor in this example, it says here that you are lending it to God. It's as if you are giving it to God and God will repay you. There was a part there that says, within Christ there is, within a Christian there is Christ. Does that mean that when we, when we give to people that are not orthodox, or they're not Christian, whatever, that means that we are not given to um, Christ, I would have to say that that's not correct, that everyone is created in the image and likeness of God. So St. Nicholas, so whenever we help people, um, it, Christians don't differentiate. Of course, you help your own. It does say that in the New Testament, in the epistles, where the apostles say, help your own first, meaning the, the, the fellow Christians but it doesn't mean that you don't help others when they are in need. St. Nikolai writes, God is able in his almighty power to make all men at once rich and filled, clothed and satisfied. However, God lets men experience hunger and thirst, sickness and suffering and poverty for three reasons. Because people say, well, why are people hungry? And why are people uh, have need of, um, of, of shelter? What has God allow these things to happen? Number one, in order for our hearts to be tested through those who seek our help. So someone seeks our help and then it comes, we, can't, we have to make a decision in our hearts. Do I help that person or I don't help that person? God tests us. Like he gave the test to Adam and Eve. Just one, because he had to give them a way to show their will because God did not create robots the angels were not created as robots they were free and that's why a large number of them fell away because they chose to fall away 
and Adam and Eve fell away because they chose to fall, to fall away. They were, God doesn't create robots. There's no love where there's robots. Zombies. God, number two, God seeks that we give alms to others so that our hearts can be softened and become virtuous. Remember what St. Seraphim says, the aim of a Christian life is the acquisition of the Holy Spirit to do good works for Christ's sake. We studied that. So when we do good works for Christ's sake, in particular works of mercy, we receive the grace of God. We receive the Holy Spirit. And God allows poor people and people that have got problems to exist for that very reason. But we're going to see other things later on. Number three, so the hearts of those who endure these sufferings, now for the poor, the suffering, will be softened and become virtuous and will turn to God, worshipping him with faith and prayer. St. Nikolai continues, says, the Lord desires mercy of us, above, uh, mercy above all else. Not just fasting, not just prostrations, not just these other things which are important, but not of itself. God wants from us mercy. He wants us to show mercy. For he knows that mercy is the way in which faith in God, hope in God and love for God can be restored. We all lack faith. We all lack hope. We all love, lack love for God. Basically, we lack Christian virtue. And the way that we acquire Christian virtue, the way we acquire the gifts of the Holy Spirit is through showing mercy to those around us. Saint Nikolai continues, pronouncing judgment on the sinners on the left, the king immediately explains to them why they are cursed and why he sent them to eternal fire. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison you did not visit me. They had done none of these things that the righteous on the right hand had done. That's obvious from the gospel. The judgment is frightful, says Saint Nikolai, but it is righteous. Frightful, but fair. We can't say that God will be unfair when he judges us on the last day. And so the king calls the righteous to himself and gives them the kingdom while he drives the sinners from him and sends them into eternal fire, into the evil company of the devil and his servants. And St. Nikolai, he continues and says, the eternal fire was initially prepared for the devil and his angels. Remember he said, depart from me, you curse it, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. In other words, God did not create hell for mankind. He created it for the devil and his angels. Therefore, at the last judgment, the righteous judge will have no place to send the sinners, but to the dark realm of the devil and his angels. God is just in sending them there from the fact that they, during their earthly lives, fell right away from God and gave themselves to the devil's service. So St. Nikolai is saying, all the Holy Fathers basically saying, that God is sending those people who did not give food to the hungry, etc., to hell because they deserve to go there. Because they fell away from God. 
they didn't do his commandments and they instead of serving God, it says they served the devil. What does it mean by serving the devil? Let's have a look. Blessed Theophilact writes, and this was a very, this was a, a wonderful section when I read it. It says, for as the demons, just like the demons are without compassion and are cruelly and maliciously disposed towards us, meaning towards mankind, it is fitting that they who are of like mind with them and who have, not, and who have been cursed by their own deeds deserve the same punishment. In other words, those people who are without compassion as are of similar, of similar character to the demons and therefore they will go with them. So it says here, for as the demons are without compassion and are cruelly and maliciously disposed towards mankind, it is fitting that they who are of like mind with them and who have been cursed by their own deeds deserve the same punishment. These sinners were darkened in mind, hard-hearted, and their souls were evilly disposed towards their hungry and thirsty, naked, sick, and captive brethren on earth. They were unable to understand that Christ was calling them to mercy through their poor and suffering brethren, neighbours. So God wants us to be merciful to all those around us. Their hard hearts could not be softened by the tears of others. They weren't moved uh, by the tears of others, just like the rich man was not moved when he saw Lazarus at the door at his gate every single day where the dogs licked him and things like that and he had no food. He wouldn't even give him the crumbs. Like he gave the crumbs to his dogs, the scraps, and he could have given those scraps to, the, to Lazarus, but he didn't. He was more merciful to his dogs. Just like today, people are more merciful to their animals and they, and they spend large amounts of money on expensive food and treatment for the animals but not for people. But of course you don't get any, any, any um, psychologists coming on the television and saying um, that those people are mentally ill. But they are mentally ill. But they say other things. Child abuse to smack children and other things that they say there, which some people got confused with what I said last time. And they said, oh, you know, I'm against psychologists. I am against... The f and it was just on the other day in Current Affair, which was, which was coincidental, Friday, just this Friday, again, they said, oh, the debate on smacking children has started again in Australia because our psychologist said that it's child abuse. And then they, gave, they said that um, uh, some people were saying it's not child abuse. One woman who wrote a book who wasn't a psychologist, no psychologist came along to say the opposite and say it's not child abuse. And I did say on that talk in Talk 45, 46, I said that if they're going to criminalise smacking as child abuse, if they want to do that, then why don't they criminalise uh, the, the child abuse from other things, like, as I said before, like uh, children that watch 
things on television which are terrorising and it disturbs them. I know, because you, I, I deal with that. They've never said that. You can, you can abuse a child just from not giving it attention. You can abuse a child from taking it to a... a, play, to a uh, what are those places that they take them when they... The childcare centres. That, that, that can be child abuse. You can, you can be child abuse when you send your child at four and a half years old to school when it's just not at all emotionally ready. How many people I've had to help that said that they were terrorised? And how many parents that I speak to, they say, oh, we've noticed now that our child went to school too early and it just didn't adjust and it had problems, had to go and do special classes and it got all disturbed. That, that could be child abuse too. But did they say that? No. So that's what I'm against. Because the person said to me, oh, there are many psychologists who do say that watching Harry Potter or watching certain things on violence on television is bad. And I said, yes, they might say it, but they're not there in the open. Do, do, do you people know about it? Do you hear it on the television of people coming along and saying that this is child abuse? No. And do those people who do say it's child abuse, do they actually say it should be criminalised? No. That's what, that's what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say that um, in New Zealand, it's been banned. It's against the law to touch your children. In Greece, it's been banned. In Denmark, it's been banned. And some other, some other, other countries, few countries. And it's been banned completely. So uh, that comes from the psychologists. I think people are very confused today, I think, anyway. I think a psychologist should come on the TV, I would, I would really look up to that, if he comes up and says, people who spend their money on animals and, and animal operations, $20,000 to give them a replacement, a hip replacement, when before they just used to get put down, um, if they can't walk, they can't work. No, today it's 20000 and they've even got now in America, some, some, some lucky cities where they've got special pet airlines special airlines that you can travel and your pets taken and it's beautiful air conditioned and this and that and they showed some people that they were interviewing and one girl one woman was saying oh yes i like to spoil my dog now and then and take it onto the airplane where instead of you know like somehow it's like it's taken care of and things like that so you pay this extra money but where are the psychologists that come and say that this is cuckoo? Do you see any of them coming? When people are starving and, and hungry, do we see anyone coming? So I object to people who say, oh, you're against psychologists. Of course they've got their use, some psychiatrists have got their use when people are very, very ill, people that have been traumatised, people that have got you know, physiological mental illness. There's a lot of reasons for mental illness. Some people have been, as I said, traumatised, they need help, etc. However, they also do a lot of damage. And I also object to every time something's wrong with someone, they, the priests say, oh, go to a psychologist, go to a psychiatrist. What happened to unction? What happened to a meleban? What happened to a pre the priest putting on his petrahili and reading the person some sick prayers? What's happened to some drinking some holy water? Some people... Uh, 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 that's all they need. They, they can be helped a lot from that. And if they don't, then you go. they go to the doctors as well. But not straight away. Everything's to the doctors. Oh, Father, I've got some thoughts. So back in the old days, people who had thoughts, 
You go to the priest, the priest says, okay, that's demonic, be careful of that, okay. Today, I've got some thoughts, you need medication. And that's from priests. Okay, I wanted to share a story. I was talking with our bishop a couple of months back and he was talking about psychiatrists and psychologists and that they can serve a purpose if they work together with the person's spiritual father to help the person progress through their, their illness. In, in Greece, that's what they do. Yeah, and um, actually I had a friend of mine who had gone through some difficult times in her life and had approached a, a psychologist friend and that psychologist was a believer and actually said to her, your problem is not a psychological one, it's spiritual and I urge you to go to your spiritual father. And talk so to that's a believer? Person. Yeah. yeah. Um, in Greece, for example, uh, someone went to a psychiatrist and said he's got some problems. The psychiatrist said to him, uh, do you go to church? Do you confess? Do you pray? Do you commune? Do you have a spiritual father? Do you, you know, and things like that. Yes. Now, um, today, unfortunately, there aren't many of them. And, and a lot of them are against the church or people that believe. Some of them believe that because you go to church, that's why you're mentally ill. So there's all these, there's a lot of, we need to treat that sub subject. What does Elder Ephraim say? What does Elder Porfirio say? What does Elder Paisios, Father Epiphanius, and others, saints in Russia, elders? We need to study this subject well. But there is bias, and I'm, and I don't like when I see priests that when they speak about psychologists, it's as if they just ate, like, and as we say in Greek, and, 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 um, like a, uh, what do you call those things, um, uh, like a baklava. You know, baklava, they're all full of syrup, so they're eating it and their mouths are watering from the sugar. And when they speak about psych oh, psychologists, and it's like they're salivating. Psychologists, they're the answer for everything. Not Christ is the answer, the psychologists are the answer. I think Elder, Elder Paisios, he said, he mentioned in one of his books to work together, if it's possible for the psychologists or psychiatrists. Elder Paisios said clearly, some people have gone so, they're so ill that they might need something to help them, not to harm themselves or to do something to someone else. And they go there for a while. While they calm down, if they calm down, then they should get help to correct their thoughts. They did spiritual help and things like that. But not for everything. Everyone's got their thing. And it's like the church, the spiritual, the, 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 the spiritual life is like now down. It's like to the side. And we have these psychologists, which really, psychiatry has caused a lot of damage in the world. It came from the West. It's like, it's like a something which, uh, that's why a lot of the uh, Mount Athos, all that, they speak that this is, this is not absolutely good. It's actually got some bad to it. Isn't the original Greek term from which we get the word psyche from refers to the soul, not the mind? Yes, psych psychology is the study of the soul, but yet the study of psychology say that they don't believe in souls. They don't believe in demons. They don't believe in Holy Spirit. They don't believe in grace. Now, there are some psychologists, psychiatrists, like we just heard, who do believe. But the, 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 the study of that is, is they don't believe in God and things like that. It's like it comes from atheism. So we say, yes, there are some uses for it. 
but I refuse to accept that as being that people, as that to be higher than orthodox spirituality and to, um, and, uh, and, and also they're hypocritical, a lot of them, because they don't speak up when they should, like, for example, that thing with the animal. And she goes, that, I saw it on the, um, on that one American channel or something on the um, news. They had like some, a little thing, and she goes, oh, I love, yeah, I, I, I let Peppy, whatever the name of the dog was, I pamper her now and then, and I, and I give her that, that really luxurious trip on the, on the um, thing. So the mutt gets a thousand bucks for a trip, and people are dying, all right? So, and the same thing that, that, then we've got the people who want to save the whale but not save the child, not just the abortion. There's all these things. It's like schizophrenia. It's, it's well documented from mainstream sources that Sigmund Freud used hypnosis to implant false uh, symptoms into his female patients. He was a nutcase. Carl Jung was an occultist, and again, this is from his own autobiography, he claims that got most of his theories on psychology when he was under the influence of automatic handwriting. This is a science, supposedly. So, yeah, this has um, caused a lot of damage in the, in the world. Some good things, but a lot of damage. Father, there is a book out now, Orthodox Psychotherapy, which is excellent. Uh, no, it's Orthodox Psychotherapy. Yeah, that's by Metropolitan Gerothos. Yeah, yeah. That's why a psychiatrist, I don't think, should practice if he's not Orthodox, because the only way to do it properly is through Christianity, mm. through Orthodoxy. It's an excellent book. Yes, but in there he does say that sometimes people uh, might need some help if um, they've got certain sicknesses and problems. What I'm against is that we tend to use them for everything, plus the fact that they are causing a lot of damage in the schools, in the courts. Like like they make excuses for people that do crime. They go, oh, that person was um, upset. They make up some diseases and then five years later they change the name to another disease, another disease. So there's a lot of problems in school, education, everywhere, right? They're like a plague. So, um, and that's not from me, that's from secular people said it, said it too. Even a, a judge I saw once that she actually did say, she goes, that, that they've mucked up the courts as well over there because they come along and then they justify people for the crimes that they do. Anyway, let's, let's leave that so we don't stain ourselves too much and let's go on to something life-giving. So uh, they were, the, the sinners are darkened in mind, hard-hearted, yes. They are unable to understand that Christ was calling them to mercy through their poor and suffering brethren. Their hard hearts could not be softened by the tears of others. Neither could Christ's example and that of his saints turn their evilly disposed souls to desire good and to do it. So people have Christ's examples in the Gospels. These are Christians I'm talking about now. Orthodox Christians who know, they hear it in the church, that's what the angel said, because the, uh, Theodora asked the angel, well, how come people don't do the right thing? He goes, they will not have an excuse. They hear it in the churches. They hear it being read as well. So those who hear the word of God, those who um, are aware of Christ's examples and teachings, etc. And if we don't, if we're not softened by that, and we're not softened by the tears of people that are around us that are suffering, then... That's what it says, that's what the saints are saying here. 
that um, instead they have, by their own free choice, become the devil's servants, and the judge will, at the last judgment, send them to keep company with those with whom, during their lifetime, they openly associated in eternal fire prepared for the devil and his servants. In other words, Christ will send people who associated with the demons, who became similar to the demons in being merciless and, and not having compassion, etc., then they will join them in the fire. So, blessed Theophilac writes, Tremble then, O man, and understand from this that these men were not punished as fornicators or robbers or some other acts of crime or any other vice, but for not having done good. So in the, in the gospel that we just read, he didn't say you murdered, Christ did not say you murdered, you did this, you stole, you didn't say any of that. He said you did not do good to those who needed help. That's very interesting. But for not having done good, this gospel reading. Conclusion, to the merciful God promises in return that they will receive mercy. In the future judgment of Christ, they will be shown the special mercy for the righteous. They will be delivered from eternal punishment for their sins to the degree to which they showed mercy to others on earth. Our sins will be forgiven according to how we showed mercy to people on earth. We showed a lot of mercy, God will forgive us many sins. We showed a little bit of mercy, then God will forgive some little bit of our sins. We showed no mercy, then God will forgive none of our sins. So, who then are the merciful? Well, we just read those examples of feeding the poor, visiting people, etc., the merciful are those who have compassion on others, who with all their hearts pity those who have fallen into misfortune or unhappiness and who try to help them with good works. So, a merciful person is someone who's compassionate, like someone said, I think it was Valentina, and those who have pity, are, uh, those who have, with those who have fallen into misfortune or unhappiness, and try to help them with good works, not just enough to have pity, but also to try and help. Remember what St. Peter says in his epistle, above all, uh, and above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. What's meant by a multitude of sins is that cover, sorry, means that many of our sins will be forgiven according to how much we love others. And we show our love in practice when we are merciful. What's the point in saying, I, I love people, but even though someone's hungry, I don't do anything about it? So love is not a theory. It's a, we have to practice love. Now, Blessed Theophilus writes again, you then, O reader, you then, O reader, flee from the absence of compassion. Flee. And practice arms giving both bodily and spiritual. Now we're coming to another type of thing. So he says, flee from this disease of not having compassion on those around us. And practice arms giving both bodily and spiritual. What does that mean? 
Works of mercy can be broken up into two groups, physical or bodily works of mercy and spiritual works of mercy. There's two groups. In other words, Christ's teaching, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy, refers to these two groups of works of mercy. The first group is the bodily works of mercy. What are they? Feeding the hungry. This is just physical. You're giving food to the hungry. Giving drink to the thirsty, clothing the naked, visiting those in prison, sheltering the homeless. Then I've got some more. Visiting the sick and helping them recover, including the disabled, the people that are old, the mentally ill helping. You know, and people can help just through... When some people have, have need, like housework, helping them with their housework if they haven't got no one or the government doesn't come, uh, shopping, taking people that need help to medical appointments. You can even take them to church if they can't get to church, paying bills for people. All these things are practical things that we can uh, do for those around us who need help. It doesn't have to be giving money. Visiting and helping the dying. Just visiting and helping the dying. That's physical. The spiritual, we'll look at it later when you go into the spiritual things. Just visiting a dying person and, and helping them whatever, what, what they might need. Visiting and helping widows, widowers, orphans, the lonely, the people that are lonely, and in general the helpless. And For example, St. Pimin, the much suffering of the Kiev caves, taught that they who care for the poor and the sick will receive an eternal reward and will never perish. So, again, many writings of the saints that, 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 that tell us. When we care for the poor and the sick, we will receive an eternal reward and will never perish. In other words, we will have life in the next life which will never end and we can never lose. Helping those who are addicted like you might have someone that you know, pointing them to medical help, maybe helping them to encourage them to go and do rehab, or gamblers, drug addicts, could be a lot of people. Like I know I um, had a relative once, they were on drugs, she was on drugs, and I um, took her to a, the rehab thing, she, and she got clean, clean, cleaned out. And um, there's all different ways. Didn't, I didn't spend any money. I saw a dollar for the petrol to take her there, but that's about it. Physical works of mercy, body is just raising your children, not in a spiritual way, just taking care of them, protecting them, feeding them properly, not Kentucky fries and all these rubbish foods. Um, you know, making sure that they're clean, making sure they've got clothes. Just, that's it. That's spirit. That's physical works of mercy as well. Now, some examples I, I, I've got here. Helping people to receive financial assistance from Social Security, from Centrelink. Even from that. Some people don't know. I remember this guy, he was, he was a, like a... Um, he was cluey. He, was, he used to study everything in the, in the Social Security, in the Centrelink, to make sure he gets every single cent from his, uh, for his uh, family. Everything. Safe, so you know, I used to find that, okay, I can get that, I can get that money for that, I can claim that and all that. So he was gifted in that way. Did he tell his friends? Did he tell other Christians about it? No, he just did it himself. I said to him, but why wouldn't you tell others? Because he was lazy, 
uh, who knows? He just didn't tell anyone else. He just kept it to himself. That's a physical, that's a thing. Some people, that might need that bit of extra money. That's what's called physical works of mercy. Organising home care for some people that have need. Meals on wheels. Some people who, you can tell them, and people say, I can't cook or whatever. They say, oh, did you know that, you know, either the person cooks, helps them bring some food over if they can. If they can't, say, look, you can, we can organise for you these type of things. A lot of people don't know about that. Medical help. They might have a sickness and say, look, you know, we can take you to the doctor or let's call the doctor or this is serious, you know, you've got to watch out for that. Helping people with language problems, read, even to read just the letter. Helping a, that's for, for a person that can't read English, for example, or a person who doesn't, is not very literate, even to help them read a letter is a big thing. You know, people with disabilities, you can link them up with occupational therapists and, and um, you can, there's a home modification where some people... You know, they live in their, their their house is not properly modified for them to be able to go to the bathroom and the toilet. They could fall down, and you can then link them up to people and say, "Look, you know, did you know that they can do this cheaply and adjust that so that you can go to the toilet or to the shower in a safe way, physical? No, it's not spiritual. Just might need a phone call or an organ. No, but people don't have time for that. Too busy in the tweeters and things. Helping someone to find a job." Nothing, not spiritual, even though in essence it is, because you've been merciful. Helping someone, you might say, someone, someone's got an unemployment, okay, um, I think I know someone, or etc. Help. Encouraging helping someone in their education. You might have a person, you might say, do you know that you can do this little course, or you can do this, or there's a lot of things, if you know. Now, let's look at an example. I think I've said this example before, but I want to say it again. Two examples. One with my mother. Now, uh, before I was born, she, um, uh, so my father's mother, mother's my grandmother, which I, didn't, never, ne I never met, she um, used to live on her own, take care of herself, but then she started getting sick, so she had to come home and live with my father and mother and my two, the sisters, who were young at the time. And... She started to get more and more sick so that she couldn't really get out of bed, so she became bed-bound. And you know that when you become bed-bound, you've got the chance of bed sores forming on your legs, on your backside, etc., uh, especially if you've got diabetes and things like that. And they, and they, can, and they, be, and they become gangrenous, they, you know. And very, that's why people have to lose limbs and things like that. Very, it can be very dangerous... And she started to form those. So my father said to her, I think we should actually put her into a nursing home because it's not good for the children as well to see her like that and things like that. And my mother said, no, I will take care of her. So she actually took care of her right up to her death and didn't allow, and even though it wasn't her mother, it was her mother-in-law. That's, you know, we know how mothers get on with daughter, mother-in-laws get on with daughter-in-laws. So it's exceptional for a daughter-in-law to want to take care of their, their mother-in-law and said, no, I'll take care of her, which she did to the time that she died. Later on, as you know, I've said before, that my mother um, became sick because she had the motor neuron disease, which means she became, at the last stages, totally paralysed. And um, uh, our aim was not to put her into a nursing home. So we wanted to take care of her, but she was fully paralysed. The only things she could move were her eyes. 
but her mind is 100%. That's why that disease is quite horrible. A lot of other diseases, you lose your mind as well, so you don't know what's really going on with you. But with this disease, you become like a prisoner in yourself, like, you know, everything's going on, and you can only communicate by, you know, your eyes and things like that. They can't speak either. And um, it's quite a horrible disease. But anyway, so she was, she became bed-bound. And we tried to always move her. When the nurses would come, the nurses would say, oh, she's been taken care of quite really well. I go, well, how do you know that? And she goes, because on her back, on the back side there, on the, on, on there she goes, it's like a baby skin. It's actually, it's, um, there's not one wound, nothing. There are no bed sores. And that's exceptional for someone who is 100% paralysed. And what's the answer to that? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Another example of a woman who I dealt with over the phone, I've never met her, but she, her, um, she contacted me and she gave me permission to relay the story. Um, she, she, this woman's in the 60s, she's also got a, like a bit of a leg problem, so she's not a very healthy woman herself, but her mother was in the 90s. Uh, was very was becoming sick. She took care of her for many years at home, and she said, "I didn't want to put her ever in a nursing home." So she had, she said, "I don't want to put mother in a nursing home," and but unfortunately she became quite sick and she had to go to hospital. So she, the mother goes to the hospital, and then uh, she they said, "You know, we can let her out," and the and the daughter, who was about sixty six, said. Um, I'll take care of her. She's not going to go to a nursing home. So she quickly prepared, got all the a hoist, because the woman, she couldn't move, you know, hoist to lift her up, um, fixed up the room, got her all ready, and then the hospital called her and said to her, um, you know, we're not going to let you take her home. Because, but I've organised home care. I've got people that will come and help me. Because no, her medical problems are so complex. She needs to be in a proper medical, in a hostel, I think, where they've got more medical things and the home care refused to take care of her. So the daughter was really upset because she didn't want that to happen. She wanted to take care of her mother. So what happened was that she um, couldn't do anything about it, so she went and found a, found a nursing home to put her in. So she, they, 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 um, the, um, she found one, they transferred her to the, to the nursing home, and after a couple of days, because of some blunder that they did anyway, don't worry about that, she went into some type of... Um, problems and she had to be taken back to hospital so she only lasted in the nursing home for two days at the hospital the this the daughter was going continually continually helping her helping her helping her and um, as much as she could and two weeks later she died as i was thinking about this and this this uh not in a bad way but it was a good way i'm saying this this thing that this woman had for her mother not to go to a nursing home and this zeal that she had to take care of her, even though she herself was old. She says, I'm going to take care of her, I don't want to. And I started a question, I thought about my mother, and I go, can I ask you something? Did your mother ever take care of someone when, you know, like something like that? And she goes, yes, her brother. I go, well, what happened there? She said, well, um, her brother, who lived in Sydney, because this woman's from another state, um, where her brother got cancer. So th this old woman, was, who was then around six, in the 60s probably, this is the mother now, 
she brought the brother up and took, her, took him to her house and he was there for around two years, but the last nine months he was completely bedridden. And this woman had so much love for her brother that she would not allow him to go to nursing homes. She took care of him for those two years. And then I said, oh, I got it now. That's what That explains why God allowed her not to be put into the nursing home because she showed mercy and she was given mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. That was exam- example. Now, some might say, oh, does that mean you're clairvoyant? You work it out. No, not clairvoyant, common sense. Um, I thought about my mother's example and other examples that I know, and I go, this woman must have done something good. And she did. She took care of her brother. St. John of Cronstein says, it is well in every respect to give to the poor, not only in order to get mercy on the terrible day of judgment, uh, not only in order to get mercy on the terrible day of judgment, because he goes on, even here on earth, those who give alms often get great mercy from others. Remember when we say alms, what does that mean now? It doesn't, doesn't mean just give money. It means taking care of the sick, visiting someone, helping. All those things is a way of, of, um, of um, helping someone. And so he says, when we show mercy to someone, when we do good, these good things, don't just think that your reward is in the next life, as we just heard in those examples. Even here on earth, those who give alms often get mercy from others, and that for which others have to pay large sums of money is given to them freely. In, uh, so in other words, like the example of that, of that um, woman where she was taken care of by her daughter, if she, to get that type of care, she would have had to give thousands and thousands of dollars, but she didn't because her daughter did it. So we're saying that um, when we do these things, we receive rewards even in this life. Indeed, will not the lover of mankind, the righteous and bountiful Heavenly Father, whose children are lovingly helped by the merciful, reward them here also, in order to encourage them to still greater works of mercy, as well as to cause the unmerciful, who mock at them, to change their ways. He will reward them both worthily and righteously. So God wants to encourage people to be merciful and that's why he allows these miracles to occur where someone gives something and then suddenly they get back in return much more. So that people can see that and say, oh, what a, what a great example. I want to be merciful too. For the person themselves who, have, who, who were merciful once they see the miracle, they say, I want to do now more. Now, let's go to the next group, spiritual works of mercy. One of my favourite spiritual works of mercy is missionary work. The study Bible says there in a section on this, on this reading, on the Last Judgment, the, they write there, Give food and drink to him who hungers and thirsts for teaching. See, we think that where Christ says, you, you gave food and give drink just means physical, but it doesn't. The fathers of the church say it's twofold. It's physical and spiritual. So just like we give food and, and drink to those in need, we also give food and drink to those who are in need of the word of God because the hungry or thirsty are not only those who need food and drink but also those who hunger and thirst for the hope of the gospel, 
for the message of the gospel, which can also mean Orthodox Christians who just don't lead spiritual lives. And what's the message of the gospel? That he who believes in Christ shall not perish but have everlasting life. St. Maximus the Confessor says, above physical almsgiving, I love this part, I found it in Greek, I have to paraphrase it, um, but I think this is what he was trying to say. He said, above physical almsgiving, in other words, giving food and drink physically, above that is spiritual almsgiving. By giving, that, that means giving people the word of God out of love for their souls. Missionary work, books, talks, um, lives of saints, pamphlets. That's all missionary work. Bibles, prayer ropes, anything. Little laminates that have got a prayer on it. You'd be surprised that people can, in times of need, look at that and then and be helped. If you remember in the Acts of the Apostles, the Apostles were getting a bit bogged down, one can say, with kind of helping the poor, serving tables and things. That's not our, that, we shouldn't do that. We should be doing the spiritual works. We should be doing um, preaching the word of God, serving, the, you know, doing the liturgies, etc., so they appointed seven deacons and said, you do that. You serve the tables. You help the widows. You help the poor. And let, leave us to do that, that which is of more importance, which is the spiritual works. The pre- preaching the word of God, confession today, priests, organising Kris Kringles and organ- like Christmas trees and children dancing around them and... Um, organising um, dances and organising things like that. And it's like, uh, what's that? Is that part of the priesthood? Even lay people can do that. Even I don't even know why they want that, but anyway, some of that stuff. But um, organising what? Uh, a bingo night. Organising all these things. It's not the priest's job. Priest's job is to do spiritual. Give Your, your time is precious. Go around, preach, help people, talk to people, confess people. Number two, by word and example to convert the sinner from the error of his way. Fellow Christians, for example, who have fallen away or those who have fallen into serious sins, by word you can tell them, you know, that's not right or be careful, come back or do this or do that. Blessed Fear Philoc writes, not only with money does one show mercy in almsgiving, but also with words. In other words, when we advise someone. Now, we can go. We said before about alcoholics and gamblers and drug addicts, whatever. We can, we can help them as physical works of mercy, which is showing them to go to these places and get help, whatever. But there's also, we can help them spiritually through telling them about prayer and... Um, Talk to them about that, you know, you can get help from God to help in your problems, etc. Have hope, don't give up, and things like that. So that's what's called spiritual works. Of That's the second example, to by word and example to convert the sinner from the error of his way. Now, there are people who are suffering from anger problems. There are people who are... You know, you can say, okay, then maybe you can go to a psychologist, whatever, you know. If you, but there's also help that you can get, spiritual help, through struggle, 
through prayers, through unction, through holy water, through just the leading of spiritual life, a lot of times those things can start to come down. People have got problems with internet. You can tell them. There's, there's, you can say to them on a, on a physical work, so and say, oh, you know, the internet's no good, it's, you know, whatever. Or you can go into the spiritual and say, how are you going to pray? How are you going to lead a spiritual life? Etc. And, um, and just helping people and helping them to say about confession and prayer and all those type of things. Or like a person that's sick, you can help them physically, but you can also tell them, you want me to organise a priest to come and read your prayers, to, to, to you know, etc. There's all these ways. Number three, giving good and timely advice to neighbours who are in distress or danger. <laughs> Similar anyway. So we've got married couples, you know, who are fighting and they could divorce, so you can actually uh, try to say something there or get someone to help them, like a priest. Bringing up children, we said we can bathe them, feed them, that's physical works of mercy, but spiritual. Bring them up in Christ, teach them virtue. Uh, be careful, like, careful that they don't develop passions. Watch what they see, they might become uh, corrupted. Discourage someone who might be doing an abortion and say to them, there's, there's, there's physical works, and say, that's no good because it's no good for you um, physically, because abortions usually lead to a lot of problems. And you can say spiritual works of mercy is your soul. How about your soul? That's a soul. The baby's a soul. You shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. I want to talk about the hypocrisy with the Susan Boyle thing. Not that she's a hypocrite, but I'm going to say that Susan Boyle, as you know, very famous. Everyone loves her. She's known all over the world. Everyone knows Susan Boyle, even probably North Korea they know her. So, with her, I don't know if you know, that she was at, when, when she was in her mother's womb, the doctors, she had some problem, so there's some oxygen that was cut from her, um, to her brain, and the doctor said, look, you know, this child's going to turn, is going to have disabilities, because there was, a, there was some time where she didn't get oxygen to the brain, something along those lines, and that she will be born with disability, mental disabilities. And the doctor was encouraging the mother to do an abortion, and the mother said no. So she was born, and she does have those disabilities. It's obvious when she speaks, the way she acts, even the way she looks to some degree, she's got some disabilities there. However, she's very gifted in the singing. And people that, but I think it's hypocrisy that people actually uh, say, oh, Susan Ball, Susan Ball. And yet these same people, if they were told that their baby had lost some oxygen, they would go to the nearest abortion clinic. But yet, isn't that fantastic that Susan Boyle... See, can you see the hypocrisy? Or you can't? Discourage adultery. You might have a friend that might be um, leading towards that. You say, that's no good for your marriage, etc. All this is spiritual works of mercy. Um, someone might be unemployed and they might get disparaged. They could do something to themselves. You sort of say to them, look, you know, it's a trial. Uh, have faith in God. He will fix up the problem. Problem with children. Sometimes children, you know, they've got a lot of, and as they grow up, on drugs, alcohol, crime and stuff like that. A lot of parents need a lot of help at that time. You might be able to give some timely words of advice or tell the person how to, how to, how to, how to handle the thing spiritually, not just the physical works of mercy like, okay, you can go there, get that counsellor, or do this and that, um, but you can also help them spiritually. Like I had a woman that her, her son um, got caught with drugs and things like that and, 
you know, she just needed a lot of uh, spiritual help uh, to get through the problem, prayer, um, um, hope, you know, it's very difficult, these things. Undergoing slander, someone's undergoing slander, that's very difficult. Persecution, or someone's been innocently accused of someone, we can help people like that. Spiritually, warning someone to be careful that their children do not fall into bad company or even get molested because there's molesters everywhere now and sometimes you might know something. You go, look, you know that if you, you've got to be careful there because there could be the child could be in danger there. You don't just shut your mouth like the guy with the social security that didn't want to tell his friends about anything. Warning someone not to put themselves in a dangerous situation. Like um, sometimes, you know, you can just feel that someone's, if they go to a certain place, even just to visit somewhere, it could turn out to be an explosion and there could be uh, a big fight. Someone who could even get killed. And you say, look, if I was you, I wouldn't go there because, you know, that person has got a lot of animosity towards you and you might say something that set him off and you can cause a whole problem. And I've seen that happen so many times. Baseball bats and people, someone going to drive onto someone to hit them and all like the whole thing. And I said to that person, I wouldn't go. Because, oh, but they're going to have a barbecue. I said, don't worry about the barbecue. Don't worry about the barbecue. At the end, he nearly got barbecued. <laughs> Number four, comforting. Uh, but, he, but when he came back, Oh, his face was black, right? The black of, of that, and his car was smashed, and things like, why? For the barbecue. Sometimes you say, don't go. So, to advice comforting the grieving. Someone who's lost a loved one, or someone who's grieving because someone's dying, you can help them physical by just saying, oh, you know, it's okay. do you want anything? Can I help you? Do you want me to cook something? Or you can help them spiritually. They're going to go into God's hands. They, they, God, God, God will, you know, there's prayers and things like that. Refraining from returning evil for evil. So that's a spiritual work. When someone does evil to us, we can show mercy on that person by not returning evil, not trying to revenge. And the other one, forgiving offences, which some of you said, forgiving offences with all one's heart. When someone does something to us, we forgive them. That's Spiritual works of mercy. In the Jordanville morning prayers, it says, Save our Lord and have mercy on them that hate and wrong me and make temptation for me and let them not perish because of me, a sinner. That's why spiritual works of mercy. By forgiving them, you are helping them not to go to hell because of their hate. That's spiritual works of you are actually doing them good. And then the other thing is we can also ask forgiveness of those who we have offended. So I did something to someone and then... I should ask forgiveness, and if I don't, that person can become upset and angry. But just go up to the person and say, forgive me, or the wrong can soften him. Works of mercy, you take the person out of his misery that could be suffering. That's a work of mercy. Just to say sorry can melt the person and say, oh, oh okay, you know, just calm them down. Works of, that's a work of mercy. Spiritual helping Spiritually helping the dying, helping them prepare for a Christian death is also, as I said, a work of mercy. And praying to God for everyone, the living and the dead. When we commemorate people in the liturgy, praying for them ourselves, all that is spiritual works of mercy. What happens if someone does not have an opportunity to show mercy? Does that mean he's not granted mercy? 
because it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. But we might not have the opportunity to help someone, let's just say. There's always people to help. Let's just make a thing. Blessed Theophilus says there, and you should have, no, and should you have nothing at all to give, show mercy with tears of compassion, which is what someone over there said, just to feel compassion for someone. Is also a spiritual. Like you hear about people that were trapped in New Zealand under buildings. Oh, there's my example here. I bet firstly, let me um, do a bit more, and we'll come to that. This is felt in the heart, not a, a cheap compassion like, oh, isn't that so sad, but feel in your heart compassion. If you have nothing to give to the poor, says St. Nikolai, pray to God that he will give it to them. There's another one. And by this you have performed almsgiving and purchased, purchased the kingdom of heaven. So what does that one say? Mark, did you understand that one? Hmm? That's okay. A bit hot. I'll explain. That's why I always explain things after. Some, you know, it's, I think it's um, good. He says, there's a poor person and you don't have any money, say, to give to that person. Or the person might need something which is beyond you. He might need, like, they're going to close his house down and he needs... He's back in his, um, in his loan repayments of $15,000 and you just don't have that. Just the fact that you, um, sorry, if you pray to God for that person, say, God, you help him. You work that problem out. You arrange it to help that person. It's like you gave the money to that person and you receive the reward um, and purchase the kingdom of heaven. St. Gregory of Nyssa, great holy father, writes, Mercy is not only concerned with material things, which we've already established that, but also with one's will, one's desire. Now, what does that mean? A person, says St. Gregory of Nyssa, can have a desire to do good, but is prevented from doing good due to the lack of opportunity. Such a person is not inferior to those who show their intention by their works. In other words, I've got an example. I think that's the best. Earthquake in New Zealand, or the 9-11 tragedy, where a lot of us saw that. People are trapped and buried deep under the ground, trapped on the top, of the, you know, on the top floor in the fire that can't come down. A person has sorrow for these people, and this sorrow is united with, with the sufferings of these people. You feel... Love for those people, you feel their their sufferings. This person's heart is expressing love and mercy. He has a strong, the person has a strong desire to help them, but has not the opportunity to physically do this. You cannot go to New Zealand, or you cannot go to Ground Zero, as they call it over there. But you have a desire to do it. You wish that you can do it. A true desire. He has a strong desire to help them, but has not the opportunity to physically do this. He is, however, able to pray for those suffering and those who are trying to rescue them. Such a person receives the same reward 
as those who are actually able to help the suffering. The desire is very important. And as we said there, God looks at our desire. We can think, oh, oh, I wish I can help the person. We can be hypocrites. God knows when our heart is true or not. When our heart has true desire that we wish, I wish I can help that person, then it is as if you have helped them, if you are truly not able to help them. That's why monastics, or the church prays, as we heard today during the service, but monastics pray for the whole world. They pray for everyone because they are in their monasteries. Yes, of this, they do help people. They give money to the poor. So people go and get advice. But there are so many people in need that they can't help. For example, the sick. A monastic prays for everyone. For example, the monastics pray individually or in their services, but even individually, their hearts are full of love. They pray for the sick, those who are serious or those that have got chronic long sicknesses and those who are less serious, those who are, you know, the destitute, those who are homeless, the poor and the hungry, widows and orphans, infants and children, the monastics pray or people, in everyone should be praying like this, but let's just say about monastics who are holy. They... Um, Pray for, for example, adolescents that are confused, they're growing up, because adolescents are a very difficult time, and a lot, of children, a lot of those kids get all confused with where they are and they can go the wrong way. They pray for the abused, that could be physically abused, emotionally abused, sexually abused. They even pray for their abusers, that they get enlightened and stop what they're doing. They pray for the addicted, that could be sexually addicted, you know, in, in this pornography, there's, there's um, alcohol, there's um, all those things we said before, um, Gambling and, and, and all those. Those who have fallen into sexual sins, like live very bad lives, sex outside of marriage or homosexuality, they pray for them that they be enlightened and stop those things. Travellers, that they be, like we heard today, sea, land and air. With the church often prays for people travelling by sea, land and air. Monastics pray continually. God, protect those who are on a boat. Protect those who are in the plane. Protect those who are travelling on a journey. The lost. There are people who at this moment are lost. They could be lost in a forest, lost somewhere. And we pray that God help those people to be found. Uh, those in prison. We, that we, we, so monastics, there might be a monastic in the desert. He can't go and visit those in prison. But his heart is praying for those that are in prison. That they be given strength to endure. Or how about those that have been innocently um, accused, that they're not even... They didn't even do anything. They just it was, they got in there by um, accident. They were accused wrongly. There's those in hospital. Those are at this time in hospital. Those who are blind. Those who are paralysed. Those who are disabled. The aged. The frail. People that are weak. Um, the lonely. The helpless. The oppressed. Some, you know, some people live under oppressive governments. It's, it's, it's difficult. Like in some... Uh, like North Korea oppressive government. China. People have not, haven't got many rights and they live with difficulty. That's called oppression. The Greeks, Serbs, when they lived under the Turks, they were oppressed. They were taxed. 
They would take their children, their boys, every second boy was taken from every family and had to join the, um, the um, Turkish guards. And then we have um, the persecuted, those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, those who are persecuted because they're Christians, for example. Those who have been kidnapped, like for example Arizona, like that's because they're close to Mexico, they're kidnapping people there a lot, and they ransom and then tell their relatives to pay them money. Then they send them an ear, a finger, things like that, to make them to, um, to um, yeah, very bad. You've got to feel for those. People that have been kidnapped, people that are tied up somewhere, people that are away from their families. How do their families feel? How do they feel? We're supposed to have feelings for that, the captives, the mentally ill, those under the influence of just passions really strong, those under the influence of demons, like people that are possessed or just very much got demonic problems, those suffering from magic. Those who do magic, so that they enlighten and stop what they're doing. Those who are contemplating suicide. I remember once I read where a spiritual father says, you've got no idea that you know, there could be a person at this moment that's ready to do that, and just the prayers of the church, of, of, of holy people, that can actually ch change their mind. The dying. We pray, the, the, the church prays and Monasteries should be praying for those who are at this moment dying or those who, who are just taking a long time to die and that's why there's prayers for them as well. The newly departed, why? Because they're travelling through, through um, the toll houses. So we pray that God help. At this moment there are people that are dying and are going through the toll houses. They need help. We pray for those who are in Hades, those who didn't make heaven, who have been sent to Hades and they need our prayer so they can be released. I remember reading about an Orthodox saintly priest and he, would, he had such a, I'll say mania, but in a good way, he had this thing that he wanted to help those in Hades and he would go to the cemetery and he would do Panahiras, Nimosima all the time and commemorate every day, liturgy, 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 praying for the dead. He felt for those people and he wanted, to sh he wanted them to be released. And the dying, the, the, the uh, married couples, as I said before, not to, like we, the people that the church commemorates, but monastics pray that they don't argue, that they don't divorce, that they don't commit adultery. Those, those prayers are very, very important. That can be a specific couple where a monastery is sent or a priest is given the names of people, say, look, these people are, are having really bad marriage, pray for them. But even without those names, Monastics pray for all Orthodox married couples. Families, uh, for Orthodox families, that they live in unity, the children, the, everyone that lives there, wherever is where. Um, those uh, women that are pregnant, because that's very difficult, they can lose the baby. So the monastics pray, God preserve them, help them, let, not, let them not have a miscarriage. The women who are giving birth, dangerous because at that time they can have a problem, they can hemorrhage, they can lose the baby, they can die and, the, and, people, and monastics are praying to help them in their birth even though there are prayers as well specifically for priests to do at the time he can actually go to the birth. Nursing mothers, a lot of women they have problems nursing the children, you know, the breastfeeding, they have problems um, just coping, very difficult. They need prayers. There's also the, there's the prayers that after childbirth they help 
and they need a lot of prayers. Women who have just given birth to babies need a lot of prayers because it's very difficult. And that's, they can become so tired from the waking, the crying, they can't settle the baby down. And those women can, can go into that postnatal depression um, and it's not good. Parents bringing up their children, the monastics pray for them, that they bring up their children in the right way to be enlightened, what to do. Some children, you're more strict. Some children, you're not that strict. Because if you're too strict with some, they, they, they go a uh, uh, thing. And some, you just need to talk to them. It's all different. You need that enlightenment to know what to do with each individual child. You can't use the same rules because each child is different. Like St. John the Latter said in the monastery, some monks, you, you tell them off, you, in, you put them down, you, you, you know, and things like that. And now, and now others, if you do that, they could run away. You've got to know exactly what each person needs. That's the same in, his, uh, in the family. Uh, they, they, they pray for monastics. They pray all, for all monastics all over the world. They pray for all the clergy, bishops, priests, deacons, readers, subdeacons. They pray for missionaries, those who are going around to, to um, Africa and other countries um, doing missionary work. They pray for teachers and preachers of the faith. Like, for example, I'm, today I'm, I'm doing a talk, I'm trying to teach you. I am uh, preaching the word of God. So I hope that at this time there are monastics praying for all the preachers who are preaching the word of God, that they be enlightened and help to be able to do their job. To pray for the fallen, those that are fallen to sin, because we know that sometimes if people fall into sin, they can't get up. They fall into despair. Pray for them, get up. Pray for the unrepentant. Pray for the orthodox who are ignorant of their faith. Pray for apostates, those who have fallen away from the church, completely fallen away. Schismatics, those that have left and gone to other church organisations. And, uh, you know, sometimes people call uh, people schismatic, but they might not be. That's another topic anyway. The heterodox. Monastics even pray, pray even for Catholics and Buddhists and pray for when their hearts are full of love, they can pray for the whole world. Um, even for the heretics that they change, that they... Now, let's differentiate between heretics and heterodox. Heterodox are those of other faiths. Now, I'll tell you who the heretics are. The heretics are those in the church. Heretics are orthodox bishops, priests, who are preaching heresy. They are the full sense of the word heretics. But you might say, but the Catholic believes in heresy. They believe in heresy, a lot of them ignorantly. However, if, the, uh, say like they do in, in Ukraine and all that, where the Catholics are trying to force Orthodox or trick them to become Catholic, then we call them heretics because they are coming to us distorting the truth and trying to convert people to change to their religion. But an ordinary Muslim, an ordinary um, uh, Catholic or uh, all these other people, Protestants, we don't, I don't like to say that they are heretics. Let's call them heterodox. Right? If, however, they try to convert us, then they are heretics. But the true heretics are those who are preaching ecumenism and other things like the Fourth Ecumenical Council was a mistake and the monophysites are like us and the Catholics are the same and like we have two lungs, the left and the right, and both together work. Some idiot said, it was a bishop in um, 
in Europe said, Orthodox bishop, and he said, like the, the lungs, we've got the left side and the right side, and they breathe together. That's the same as the church. The church has the West, meaning the, the Western church, and the, and the other side is the Orthodox church, and only together they breathe, and that's the church. That's a heretic. They are the true heretics. Mm. So they pray for them that they be enlightened and come back to orthodoxy and stop their heresy, stop spreading their heresy. And pray for civil authorities, armed forces, emergency workers. They pray for secular teachers that they do the right thing when they're teaching children not to corrupt them, doctors, nurses, etc., etc. See how the church prays for um, everyone. Now, if you Actually, in the prayer books, in the morning and night prayers, there are provisions for that. To, to, um, to pray, you know, pray for those that are persecuted, this and that. It's very good for, for people to do that. Now, in the beginning, you might find your heart become tight. You might say, but I don't feel any sympathy for these people. Because, you know, when we are away from God or when we do sins and we don't repent, etc., our hearts become closed. St. John of Cronstein says, when our hearts are closed because of pride and unrepentance, we have no room for anyone. Our hearts have to open up and then we have more room. So what we do is we read the prayer book and it says, um, those that are suffering misfortune, those who are captives, those who are, you know, um, this and that. And, and then you do it and you, at the end of it you say, I felt nothing. So what you do is you say, look how cold I am. Look how off I am. Look how unmerciful I am. How am I going to be saved? Even that self-condemnation can give us the kingdom because we're condemning ourselves. We notice that that's what we're doing and at least repent. If we repent that we're not merciful then there's a chance and slowly, slowly with that repentance and keep on trying to force yourself and asking God and saying to God, give me a merciful heart. Help me to feel for, for people. Help me to love others. Help me to have compassion. And then if God, if you're doing that with a, with, a, with a heart, with a sincere heart, then God will grant it. He will help you to start to develop this merciful heart, and which is what we all have to do. Now, let's remember, as we end now, that um, Saint, that Saint um, Theodora, when she was going to go through the toll houses, the angel uh, related to her all her good deeds. And I think it's good for us to, to be reminded of that. Uh, As the devil shouted my sins, says Saint Theodora, the holy angels listed all the good deeds that I have done by God's grace and with his help. The angels mentioned every good deed that I did. And then she lists all, this, all the good deeds that the angels told her that she had done and those were the good deeds that were going to use to balance her sins. And we're going to go through it now and we're going to say, and maybe can, for someone who can say physical, like bodily works of mercy, spiritual. So he says, the angel mentioned every occasion when I gave alms to the poor, physical works of mercy, fed the hungry, gave the thirsty drink, clothed the naked, sheltered strangers and homeless, served holy men and women, Serve the means when you serve them, 
when you cook for them, when you take care of them, you know, in that sense of that. Um, visited the sick and imprisoned and gave them assistance. That whole group is physical works of mercy. Then he goes on. The angels also mentioned, she said, all the times I went with diligence to God's house and prayed with all my heart and shed tears. So every time we go to church, that's written down. Every time we pray with our heart, that's written down. Now, that's our own. That's not works of... It is a good deed, but it's not what we call spiritual works of mercy. We're not shown mercy to us unless we are praying for someone. But a lot of times we could be praying for our own state. It's still a good deed. It's not a spiritual work of mercy. It's just a good, de- a, a good deed, which is for us. When I attentively listened to what was read and sung in church, see, when we, read, when we listen to the word of God, when we hear the singing, that's not works of mercy. It's still a good deed. That's for ourselves. When I, brought church to, when I brought to church incense, candles or some other offering, which you could be doing for someone else, and it's a spiritual work of mercy, or you could be doing it for yourself. When I donated olive oil for the oil lamps, which illumine the holy icons, kiss the icons with awe and reverence. You kiss the icon, you're doing that for yourself. That's okay. It's still written down. It's still a, it's still a good deed, but it's not a work of mercy. But if you're venerating the icon and praying for someone, mercy. You're shown, you're, you are... You are doing works, a work of mercy there because you're praying for someone else. And what did we hear? All good deeds are good. But which ones are especially good? And the answer is phys- works of mercy. That is when we are showing mercy to someone else. They are especially good. They spoke of my fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays. What's that? That's for the person. And other fasts of the church. When I prostrated myself before God and spent nights awake in prayer. When I sighed to God and wept for my sins. When I confessed my sins before my spiritual father. That's for ourselves. Still a good deed. With, heart, with great heartfelt regret and attempted to correct my faults and made an effort with all my strength to balance my sins with good deeds. We have to make an effort say, so I'm going to do good deeds so I can balance my sins. That's what... When I did anything good to my neighbours... Now we're going on to the works of mercy. When I attempted to restrain my anger, not to tell someone off, that's a work of mercy. When, because you can make that person worse. So you actually show mercy. I'm not going to shout back at him even though I'm angry because I can make that person sin because he can become angry. When someone reproached or criticised me, I restrained when I refused to harbour malice or return evil for evil, that's a work of mercy. When I humbled myself, when I felt grief and mourned for those suffering and consoled them, work of mercy. When I, that, that one's spiritual. When I comforted those who were weeping and rendered them assistance, works of mercy. When I encouraged those who were doing good, works of mercy. You're telling someone, that's good, that's good, that, that's a good deed, we should do that. There's a few more. When I made attempts to turn people away from... What was bad, which I read before, that's a spiritual work of mercy. When I turned my eyes away from vanity, it's for ourselves, good deed. Kept myself from lying, that's for myself, unless we're going to hurt someone. Slandering or speaking without need. And the holy angels gathered all my other good deeds, even the least important ones, and prepared them in order to balance my evil deeds. So we have to lead a balanced spiritual life, like I said in talk 45, Yes, fasting, yes, prostrations, all these help us. But 
Let's not do those things and neglect works of mercy because we might find the door closed because we just read what the saints said before. Even if we pray and fast and keep ourselves pure but we don't have mercy for others, we cannot be saved. St Nikolai writes, Oh, how terrible it is for those who have great wealth and do not give to the poor. Or great wisdom and keep it locked within themselves or any sort of goods and skills and show them to no one. See, St. Nicholas not saying it's not just money, it's not just food, but even if someone has knowledge and is able to help someone, we have to, that, ha, that they have to do. Or if someone's just got other skills and doesn't, doesn't help people with those skills, that's not good. Or great power and do not protect the poor and miserable, or a great name or importance and will, not sh- and will shed no ray of light on those in darkness. The best that could be said about them is that they are thieves, they, for they count God's gift as their own. See, even if we are intelligent, that's given to us by God, and we're supposed to use that gift to help others. As we've, as I've, as, as I've, if we have power, God allowed us to become powerful in a position. We have to use our power to do good to people. And if we don't use our gifts to help people, he says, then we are taking what belongs to others and hiding what is given to them. So let me read that again. The best that could be said about them is that they are thieves. For they count God's gift as their own, taking what belongs to others and hiding what is given to them. We take what is... What is so if God's given us gifts, skills, they are given to us so that we can help others, not just for ourselves. They are not just thieves but also murderers, for they do not help those they could to salvation. Their sin is no less than that of a man who stood on a riverbank with a rope and saw someone drowning but did not throw him the rope to save him. The Lord will indeed say to such people what he said to, in the parable about the wicked servant. Quote, cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That was for the servant who was given the gift, uh, whatever gift it was, but he didn't use it. To help others, he buried it, meaning that he kept it for himself. I've got money, that's for me. I've got intelligence, that's for me. I've been given power, I'm going to use that for myself. And the last thing is inequality. When I read this quite a few years ago in the homilies of St. Nikolai, I was, um, uh, I really, I, I, you'll see what I mean. God creates inequality. Men complain about it. Uh, Are men wiser than God? When God creates inequality, it means that inequality is wiser and better than equality. God creates inequality for man's good, but men cannot see the good in their inequality. God creates inequality because of the beauty of inequality, but men see no beauty in it. God creates inequality out of love, but man can see no love in it. So what does he mean by inequality? Let's have a look. Adam and Eve gave themselves into Satan's power in order to become equal to God. That's an example. They wanted to become equal to God. They couldn't accept that they were lower than God. Cain 
slew his brother Abel because their sacrifices were not equally righteous in God's sight. There were two brothers. They both offered sacrifice. Cain offered his sacrifice. Abel offered his sacrifice. But God was uh, more pleased with the sacrifice of Abel. Their sacrifice wasn't equal, so Cain killed his brother out of that because he wanted it to be equal. Uh, from then till now, sinful men have waged war on inequality. Before then, though, God created inequalities. In other words, even before the creation of the earth, the world, there was inequality. And it's still with us. Before then, we say, because God created the angels unequal. It is God's desire that men be unequal in all externals. In other words, riches, power, status, learning, position, and so forth. God wants inequality. So these idiots like the communists and others that say, we're going to have everyone equal. Not going to happen. It never has. They keep on talking about it. And these politicians, they go, we're going to make everyone, no one's going to be poor anymore. Everyone's going to have education. Like I heard this guy that was over there for the presidential debates there in America, one of them, and he said that um, for everyone to be educated, I think even these people, he say, Rudd and all them, that everyone's going to have HSC. Everyone's going to have a high school certificate. They're going to finish their, 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 their high school and they're going to either go to tech and do a course or they're going to go to university, etc. So you've got a person who finishes the HSC and ends up working, no disrespect, packing shelves because that's, that's, that's their ability. See, So if we have this thing about equality, everyone's going to be educated. If everyone's educated, who's going to do those other jobs? Just get the trucks to dump all the food in Woolworths and then we've got to go and rummage through it. Who's going to pack the shelves? Who's going to be at the cash registers? Who's going to collect the garbage? No disrespect to the garbage people. Who's going to uh, do all these other things? No, equality, equality. Everyone's going to have, everyone's going to have high school certificates. But that's how God has created the world to be. Some are rich, some are poor. Some are intelligent, some are not intelligent. Some are are powerful and some are not powerful. Rich and poor are not in the world by chance, but by God's most wise providence. That's how God wants it. God would be able... In the twinkling of an eye, as much as we can just flick our eye, like just close our eyes, a twinkle of an eye, to make all men equal in wealth. He can make everyone to have, no one to be poor, if he wants. But that would be absolutely foolish. In that case, men would become totally independent of one another. Who then would be saved? How could anyone be saved? For men are saved through their dependence on one another. The rich depend on the poor, like we heard in the first part of the talk, and the poor depend on the rich. The learned depend on the ignorant, and the ignorant on the learned. The educated, in other words, are helping the, those who are ignorant of things, and the ignorant are dependent on the learned. The sick... The healthy, sorry, depend on the sick. By helping a sick person, we receive forgiveness of sins. So the healthy depend on the sick and the sick on the healthy. So 
This stupidity that exists today in the world, that has to be all equal and everyone's going to be the same, everyone's going to be the same, this and that, is not going to happen. But God's not going to ask us why we didn't make the world to be equal for everyone. It's not going to happen anyway. But he's going to ask us, did you show mercy? Did you help that poor person that came to you? Did you help that person when they wanted help? Did you give advice to that person when you could have said a word to them? Did you give a little booklet to someone? Did you prevent that person of doing sin? That's what God's... God's not going to ask us to solve the world's problems. He's going to ask us what we did with our soul. That's why these people that are going around and thinking that they're going to, they're going to make the world um, perfect, a utopia, they're not well. You can't... Everyone cannot go to university because there are people that are born that do not have the intelligence to do that. That's it. Not everyone's going to be healthy. They've got all these things about health and health and health and everything to do with health so that you know, no one gets cancer, no one gets sick, so everyone can be perfect. That's not going to happen either. They've, they've advanced in medical science to such a degree and they still can't even, they can't even um, cure cancer. Some things they've cured. Because God doesn't allow them to cure it. Because cancer and other, these other things are useful. They help people to bring them to repentance. Now, what makes me sick is when you hear these examples of people who were independent. So, for example, I was watching The Current Affair, one of those shows, and it showed uh, because now they're starting to crack down on old people when, they are, when they're getting too old and they, they kind of have to do tests to prove that they can still drive because some of them are so, are so old, you know, can they even turn the steering wheel? And they are, some of them are now uh, being told they can't drive anymore. And I remember one, one guy that was on the television and he said that... Um, He's, he's um, contemplating to suicide because he doesn't want to be dependent on anyone. Or people that say, I don't want my family to take care of me. Like, what? What kind of a satanic egoismo is that? I don't want my family to take care of me. I'm independent. I take care of myself. I don't want people to pity me. If you people say, I don't want your pity, I don't want your compassion. These are demons speaking, because that's what the demons, demons say, remember, the demons, when they speak to God, they call him Lord, and they show reverence, except for one thing, because when you read the Bible, when you see where, um, in the book of Job there, where the demon was talking to God about Job, and then he said, the Lord, Lord, he kept referring to him. and then and St. James, or one of, them, one of the epistles there, say that, um, do you believe in God? Yes, oh, well, that's good, but even the demons believe in God and tremble. So the, the demons tremble. The demons say, Lord. But one thing they can't say, they can't say the word mercy. Lord, have mercy. Can't say it. And today, when you hear people say, I don't want anyone's mercy, I don't want anyone's help, I don't want to depend on anyone, this is satanic. So yes, this euthanasia and all these things that are happening today, it all has one... Per well, 
look, you can understand, even though it's still not right, you can understand when someone is, is suffering and suffering and suffering most horrible um, sickness. But nevertheless, we're not permitted to kill ourselves. But you can understand that some people can lose themselves. They go, oh, look, this person's better off to die because they're suffering so much. But when we've got people who are not in that state, but just people who, who don't want anyone to come to cook for them, or don't want anyone to do their shopping, or don't want anyone to help them in any way because they want to be independent, this is the reason for the world being upside down. Because... If we get sick and our family takes care of us, that's what God has allowed because our family taking care of us will, have, uh, will receive God's mercy on the last day. I remember this young fellow who was around 20 and uh, it turned out that some person helped him gave him somewhere to live temporarily, we had some problems there, and this person helped them. And then the person got sick. This young man became, was very, um, was very uh, grateful to this person for, uh, it was actually uh, an elderly woman, I think, who helped this young man in times of trouble money, place to stay, things like that. And she got sick. And the young man decided that he wants to help her. So he took care of her. In all ways. Like he actually... Now, a 20-year-old person who's taken care of an old person to the toilet, everything, feeding and, and things like that because the person couldn't, I mean, they could move their hands but not properly and things like that. Sometimes you've got to feed people and to, to help them in the toilet and help them and all these type of things. And this person chose to do that instead of going out and leading a, a life of enjoyment as a young 20-year-old person. And later on the person died. And I remember this person saying to me, you know, while I was taking care of that person, I felt the most grace. I've never experienced such grace that I felt when I was taking care of that person. Why did he feel so much grace? Well, obviously because he's taking care of a sick person, but because he had the choice to go and live it up as a young person, going to sports, going out, having fun, but he chose to do that. And that is a sacrifice. And he was merciful. He showed mercy to that person. And he received a lot of mercy. That's why he said, I've never I've felt so much grace. It was a, one of the greatest experiences that I've felt. But God blessed anyway. That person became a monastic later on and a priest. So isn't it funny how, um, not funny, but isn't it thing how uh, people say when we do good, it doesn't mean we're going to get rewarded here. We get rewarded here as well. 
we get rewarded a lot. Why does monastics get so much grace? Because they choose a couple of things. One, they choose to deny their sexual desire. They've got the desire there and they say, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. I want to dedicate myself to God. But they can. They can indulge in that. Married couples can get married and indulge in that. The person says, no, I don't want that. The person denies, then he says, I don't want property because the monastic doesn't have property. doesn't have bank accounts. The monastery might, but they don't. Then the, the monastic uh, doesn't go out and, and have fun and all these type of things that people of the day. That's a sacrifice. And God gives a lot of grace when we do sacrifices. When we know the child that's in our womb is going to turn out to have some problem and we go ahead and have it, that's a sacrifice. Those people receive a tremendous amount of grace. So, all of us need to do what St. Seraphim of Sarov says, trade wisely, trade. Trade, like it says today in the Gospel, it says, again, he goes, um, our, our, um, our wicks are going out, and then the other virgin said, you go out and buy for yourselves. I mean, you go out into the world and you go and trade. You go and do things that, will risk, that you can receive grace. You go and be merciful. You go and help people. But then it was too late. And St. Seraphim of Sarab says, go and trade, meaning what you, if you have an ability or something that you can receive grace, then do it. See, some, some people, I, I know that there are priests who have a gift, they can go to hospitals. I, I can't do that personally, right? That's just, I don't have that ability. I don't feel like when I go there that I, I mean, that's to read prayer. But that's not, that's not what I, that, that's not one of my strengths. But some priests are able to go to hospital, walk to a person, don't even know them, how are you, this and that. I can't do that. I find that hard. My strength is doing, for example, this. That's my strength. I receive a lot of help from doing this and therefore I trade. I say, well, I'm going to spend my time doing something which I know that I have the, uh, that God's helped me to do and that it gives me grace that helps me and helps people. That's, a, that's an act of mercy. All of you have to find and say, what has God given me? What's my strength? What should I do? Do I have money? Give as much money as you can. Throw, out, out, help. Um, is it that I've got a gift to be helpful to people, taking care of a sick person? Do that. Go visit people in nursing homes. Go and ask the priest, are there people that live on their own that need help? And, and to your answer to some of you that said over there, the question about the poor, well, you might say, well, why give to these other places? I mean, I don't like those places. I mean, they've got their use. But I prefer to say, well, there are so many needs. There's Orthodox Christians in Russia, there's Orthodox Christians here that need money. In Africa, there's such a need. There are so many needs. If a person has a desire to give, God will send the opportunities. Someone said that. God will send the opportunities for us to help. And to your question about the 10%, I'm... Look, if a per yeah, I'm not really sure, but let's just say a person, why don't we get to the stage of a person to say, 
I'm going to give, I want to do that and give 10%. If that can count the donations of the church, let it be within there as well because the church is, is still, it's alms giving as we saw from, from there. Um, so if a person can even do that, I think that's a great thing. Why, so in other words, why say to someone, oh, you give 10% and then you give to the church separately? It causes too much. Why don't we try that at least? If we can even get to that stage, I think that that's going to be a great um, uh, benefit. We need to experience it. So start to give. And we keep the money, everything goes wrong. Everything goes wrong. How many tradies I've met, I've told you before, plumbers, electricians, working on Sundays, working on feast days, um, you know, and you just speak to them and just they're chasing their tails and they don't get paid. I, you speak to them and you go, what's, uh, I'm, I'm really upset. I go, what's wrong? He goes, oh, this guy owes me 30000 I go, and what do you think you're going to get it? He goes, no. So one, one, one electrician, he took him, to, took, met him, took him to court or something like that, and the guy started threatening his family. So it's like a whole thing, but not even a cent will he give to the poor. Then he wonders why he loses the 30000 and 40, and a lot of things that people lose, medical expenses, psychiatric expenses, just goes on and on and on and on. Be merciful, and God will be merciful to us. Any questions as we end? That's it. Nick said to remind you about that example, the thief on the cross. Yes, that was a good example. The thief on the cross, the story about him is that when Christ, the mother of God, Joseph, and St. James, the brother of the Lord, says, were going to Egypt to escape from Herod, on the way to Egypt, they were attacked by bandits. Because they, like, like we have them here, like in our times, they're back in their times. So they stopped them to rob them. They saw the mother of God on the donkey holding something and they thought to themselves, there must be some treasure. So they went up to her and took away the, the, the blanket there and found and saw Christ. One of them said that the child was so beautiful. They said, if God was to become man, this is how he would look. And he said to his friends, let's leave them. He was overcome by the, by the baby and, thing, and he felt compassion. And the mother of God said to him, the mercy that you showed today will, be, will, will help you one day, something like that. It's in the prologue, near the, the Christmas period. That person who showed mercy and, the mother of God, and, the, and who the mother of God said to him, the mercy that you showed to us today, will be, you'll be rewarded, was one of the thieves on the cross who was saved he, he was, he, because of the mercy that he showed back that, at that time. And not only was he saved, he was the first person to enter paradise. So that's a wonderful example as well. You do it and you will experience great gifts. Question was, were you, you had one? Susan Boyle, yes. Should I have mentioned her because it was, it was worldly? You're not worried, you're not worried that I mentioned because she's worldly? No, well, ah. To do with abortion, she was really aborted um, because the doctor said she wouldn't be healthy. There was uh, something I read about uh, something similar regarding Beethoven. Beethoven, yep. Um, a musician, a famous musician, hundreds of years ago. And uh, he's, I don't know if this is true, but 
apparently all his you know, nine siblings and the mother and the father was gone or something and everyone had syphilis in the family and there were all these other bad things were there and it was like they were really in dire straits and the question was, and they didn't say this is Beethoven's family, the question was um, if everyone has syphilis and, and the mother's about to have her, I don't know, 10th baby, should she abort the baby? And then people answer what they answer, but then the answer, then the, the question says at the end that um, you've just killed Beethoven, because apparently that's what the situation so she was pregnant, and and with and and the baby was who later on became Beethoven. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yeah. And she decided to keep the child. Yeah, there's probably other examples as well. There are many, many, many. Even um, Monica here says that her mother was told about her younger brother that um, the doctor said, um, "Look, you you know the, your child. We've tested it, and this and that, and it's going to turn out to be what Down syndrome." Because she was over 40, he goes, oh, it's a high chance you're gonna, the baby's going to have uh, uh, um, Down syndrome. And the, she said, no, I'm not going to abort. She, they were trying to force it to abort. Um, um, and she said no, and the baby, she had the baby and it was normal. See? But even if it wasn't normal, even if that did have Down syndrome, uh, that's God's providence. And, that, and um, a person will say, well, why should I give my life to take care of a baby? It's like... like um, I would have to say what St. Theophilac says, those who have no mercy and compassion are like demons. You were going to ask a question. Were you going to ask a question? No, it was... Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. Um, I was interested in, let's say, for example, giving advice. Should you only give advice if someone is actually asking you for, for advice, which is like an obvious one, but what if they're not even um, asking you for, an, for advice and... Depends... Well, I'm mostly speaking about orthodox to orthodox, but, you know, if you can say a good word to someone else, and if they didn't ask, well, you might just say a little bit. If they respond, okay, if they don't respond, let that go back. You know, even with orthodox Christians, you might say a few words. If they don't listen, then you go back, but at least your conscience is clear that you tried. Someone else? Yeah. An elder in Russia was asked the question, why if we bring up our children Christian that they turn out to be so bad? And he said uh, an answer, which when someone read it said to me, I didn't like that answer. And I said, what was the answer? He said um, that we, we have to bring them up Christian. And then, so this person that told me the story that he, that he read it, he goes, What's he talking about? Like, he's just like he's avoiding the answer. Someone goes, no, he's not avoiding the answer. He's giving the answer. There's, there's people who bring up their children Christian that aren't doing that. But what do they actually do? We don't know what goes on behind closed doors. Like, for example, there was a guy 
in um, uh, that I was dealing with who was um, he, he he had a couple of children there, boy and a girl. And he was teaching and, he, and um, they were separated, and he used to take them, uh, you know, on his turn to take care of them, and you know, and he was um, waking them up in the morning. Like he was a Christian person, had relationship with elders and everything like that. And he used to wake up the children that were only 9 and 12 or something like that, waking them up, the boy and the girl there, and giving them prayer ropes and then making them do prayer ropes, right? And then you've got others that, you know, um, make, their children stand in ser- make their children stand in services for three, four hours when even adults can't do that. So the child hates church. So there's bringing up and bringing up. We think that people are bringing up, but they're not. And they could be saying wrong things like, um, you know, if you do that, God's going to punish you and this is, um, and, you know, and heretics are bad and other religions are bad and this and that and that and that and that. And it just causes so much trouble. And at the end of the day, if they're sending their kids to school, then you know, what you're building at home is only being destroyed. Um, so you send your children to school where they're learning the, like whole, all rubbish and things, especially very young. When you send your child four and a half, five, even six, the child's docile, it doesn't even know that it exists. And whatever it's told, it absorbs. So you're, it's, it, you know, you're sending the, the child six hours a day to learn the rubbish, and then they come home and we say, now we're going to learn our father. It just kind of goes all over the place. That's why the, commun- the Russians that lived in communist Russia because it was compulsory to send the children to school, unlike now, you can do homeschooling, but people don't want to do it much. Um, and then they, the, 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 the saints that lived in that, in that time said to the parents, delay, delay sending the child early to school. Send them as late as possible, eight, even eight, because by eight, the child's already, you've, what you've done at home, you've formed its mind, its, its spirituality, etc. it's pretty much set. But when you send your child four and a half and five to these people who don't even believe in what they're teaching the child, and then you say, oh, but I send my child to, to catechism, what do you call those things, Sunday school, it's a waste of time. It's like you're building up, and then you knock it down. Then you build up and you knock it down, and you say at the end, how come I can't build it? Because you're knocking it down. Isn't that, is that stupid? Isn't it? They ask the question there. Well, you're knocking it down. So by, by allowing your children to be taught by unbelievers and other religions and other people saying all oh, their rubbish, and then we expect those children to be learning Christianity, orthodoxy, I think it can be very hard. Now, some people say, oh, I know someone that went to school and then he became a monk. Let's not look at exceptions. As Saint Ignatius says, there are exceptions. I'll give you an I'll give you an exception, and you can try it out if you like. A thief went to a monastery. I've told this before, and he went to the monastery, and he pretended that he was a, a, a an elder. So he got dressed up in the black and went there, and all the nuns became all enthusiastic. They go, oh, a holy elder has come to visit us. A holy elder has come to visit us, and this guy was acting like as he was like. Um, you know, some, some saint. And they got so enthusiastic that they, as was the custom, they took off his shoes and washed his feet, right? Which is how they do it in those days. Um, then one of the nuns that was sick had so much faith that this holy elder came that she drank the water from, the, from his washed feet and she became better. 
she became better from her faith. She became better, right? So, why don't we go and we can wash each other's feet and drink water tonight and we can see who's going to get better. So that's, uh, that's where we say, just don't look at the exception, like the one about the prostitute. A woman lost her child and she was crying and the prostitute went up to her. She, uh, we just read before, a few months ago, that she had just finished with her last customer, so she was still... Uh, yeah, so, so she, she um, went along the road there and she saw this woman crying. She goes, what's wrong? And she said, oh, my, son's, my only son has died, and my only son is that. And the prostitute felt sorry for her. And she said, you know, not for my sake, who am a sinner, but for this woman's sake, God, you know, help her. She actually felt sorry, and the, the child rose from the dead. Right? And again, St. Ignatius says, that's an exception. It doesn't mean now we're going to go down to King's Cross and go and speak to the prostitutes and ask them to pray for us. Is that what we're going to do? No. So I'm not saying that in, in um, you know, with dislike to, to the people. They, they all have, they're going to give word in their own way and we're going to give word more than them because we know the truth. A lot of them have been forced into those things, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the example. These are exceptions, okay? So protect your children. That's a spiritual work of mercy. I was speaking to someone the other night and... I was saying we've got to be careful because these, these now there's a very big, strong move, these homosexual people that want to enter the schools to teach the children that lifestyle, including their, their, their ways that they indulge in their own activities, in their sexual activities, so they can see both sides, heterosexual sex, homosexual sex, things like that. And this person said to me, um, as I was saying this, I go, we've got to be very careful of our children because that's, why, that's what's happening. And she said, but I, I, I read that you're supposed to love the sinner and hate the sin. And I said, did I tell you to hate the person? I'm just telling you what they're teaching. It's the same with the um, um, teach, uh, sending our schools to heretical, sending our kids to heretical schools. Saints rather, would rather die than to allow their children to be taught by heretics because of the conversion that can happen. For example, Roman Catholics, one of their biggest ways of converting people is through their schools and through their um, hospitals and stuff. So why would we pay them to teach our children that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son? Why would we, why would we pay them to do their cross opposite? And why would we pay the heretics to defile our children? See what I mean? So this is spiritual work of mercy. Don't, don't, send, don't push your children to these things. Anyway, was that it? Was there anything else? Because I think the food is ready. Stand up. Um, through the prayers of our Holy Fathers, Lord Jesus Christ, the God of mercy, and save us. Amen.